Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're taping this on a Wednesday night, so you know what that means. It means college football week seven preview. Are we in week seven, Matt Green? It is week seven indeed, sir. We're halfway done with this season. Like, we're moving through it. Does it feel like it's already half over almost? It's, um, we're halfway there, and I would venture to say that we're also living on a prayer. Mm. But, um, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks because I feel like I wait nine months for football season, and then it just blows by. So that's why you just got to enjoy every week. And, and that's what we're doing here. Talking ball, week seven. Full slate, SEC. Gotta love it. For sure. And it's why I go to the high school games. It's why I record so much. It's uh, it's something that, like, it, football season happens so fast. Like, basketball season, baseball season, hockey, soccer, whatever. It all goes on forever. Um, but Speaking it, of, mm-hmm. how about those Bravos mm-hmm. and the NLCS? Gave up on that season. Mm-hmm. When Acuna got hurt like three months ago. So mm-hmm. Alex Anthopoulos, give mad props for uh, being a buyer at the trade deadline, getting this team back on track. And then LCS, anything can happen. But I didn't mean to derail your uh, your uh, your point there. Well, I'm also upset that the Braves will be playing game one in the LCS at the same time Tennessee's playing Ole Miss. Oh, have they set a game time yet? Yeah, it's Saturday night. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess it'll definitely be a night game. Very um, frustrating. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Very frustrating. Um, and if it's uh, if the Dodgers win, that'll be in Atlanta. Yeah, and I... Uh, oof. Losing to the Dodgers in back-to-back playoffs is... I'm torn. Yeah. Because I, I want the Braves to have home field, but... I don't want the Dodgers. Give me the Giants. Yeah, I don't want to... The Giants had a better record, but I feel like the Dodgers just... They're the Dodgers. They Did you see better. what Logan Webb does every day? Um no, the game five starter for the Giants. He uh yeah. he drinks three Red Bulls every day. That sounds insane. Three Red Bulls a day, like not even sugar free or anything. He's drinking three Red Bulls a day, and he he said something like, "Don't blame my mom and dad." Um, but yeah, that's that's insanity, and I think that's probably I don't know if that's worse than Dan Campbell's caffeine regiment or not. Do you remember what he did? Uh, I, heard, I remember something about it. What was it that Dan Campbell So Dan did? Campbell's order, he goes to Starbucks every morning. He gets two, I think he gets a double venti, two double ventis or something. Uh, no, he gets two ventis of coffee and then two shots of espresso or something in each venti. So it's like he basically has like eight to ten or maybe it's like 12 cups of coffee in one mega cup of coffee. How much is he spending on coffee? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a millionaire, so I think he can he can do whatever. He can obviously afford it. Mm-hmm. I'm not questioning his lifestyle, but geez. Mm. You, you seem like a frugal guy based on our earlier conversation before we got started here, Matt Green. On, uh, well, you don't pay for lawn service. You have an elderly gentleman cut your lawn for free. You have... Hey, he's my neighbor, mm-hmm. and he's doing it while he's cutting his own grass. He's just like coming over to cut more. So mm-hmm. he loves it. He's retired. I'm not going to take that away <laughs> from him. He, uh, he wants to do it. So I could be more regular about mow my lawn but i'm definitely not gonna pay for it like i'll let it get a little out of hand and mow it every 
three, four weeks before I would pay for a lawn service. Three to four weeks in the South? You can't get away with that in the fall. No, I'm saying like that would be worst case scenario. Mm. Just like, yeah, it gets gets away from me, but I'm definitely not going to pay for it. That is, that is just so fascinating. Matt Green. Um, I mean, why, who, why would you pay for someone to mow your grass? Like, it depends on your acreage. That's fair, but um, I would always it would probably be more expensive if you have a lot of acreage, though. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess you could say I'm a frugal guy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, or uh, maybe I'm just poor. One of the one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> what is your hold on? What is your guilty purchase? Like, what is the what do you allow? yourself to not be frugal on what's your like your biggest like i this is i shouldn't pay for this or i shouldn't spend this much money on this particular item but you do it anyway what do you what do you splurge on matt green um i uh, mean maybe, maybe food okay i feel like especially like meat or something like because we'll just like stock up on meat and like put it in the f- fridge so it's like get like some nice steaks or something like that i feel like you can justify it you're like hey these this is a deal uh, even then although i'm looking for like some on sale but like if you just i would just stock up on like a bunch of meat because it's like you're like oh eventually you'll eat it you know so i don't know i don't really know i don't feel like i splurge on on too much i'm a simple i'm a simple guy simple simple guy okay there you go i'm i'm bad with uh with all that uh, the sports renaissance woman, thankfully, is is great at all that, but that is not my strong suit. I'm just like, who cares? What is money? Um, it grows on trees, yeah. So don't forget, folks. The one, mm. sorry, the the most thing I'm frugal about mm. grinds my gears is Uh-oh. the fees okay. on like these tickets, <laughs> like these ticket sites. Like it's just absurd. Like I was looking to get tickets like a week or so ago, and it was like five hundred bucks to get like. I don't remember. I was trying to look at like four four tickets. It was like five hundred fifty bucks, right? For like all four, and then the total is like eight hundred dollars. And you're just like, wait, what the hell? How much are the fees? Like the fees are as much as like tickets were like ten fifteen years ago. Like it's just kind of crazy. That is, yeah, um, it's definitely a thing. Um, NFL tickets are especially just crazy. But yeah, tickets and fees and everything has fees now. Um, even when you do orders like online ordering and just seeing where you have like a dollar seventy going to something, you're like, I don't understand what this is actually going towards. But I'm, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. But this is not why the good folks are listening to this very program at Green. It's not for <laughs> our fee talk and uh, what grinds our gears as we we enter the uh our 30s and become more and more like our parents um no matt green this is about college football tonight um don't forget folks you can follow matt green on twitter.com at matt underscore w underscore green go follow him there follow myself at chase double underscore thomas uh subscribe to the newsletter sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com uh support us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase thomas writer uh like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer chase thomas podcast.com all the access to all of our previous episodes that matt and i do twice a week during this football season chase thomas podcast.com and if you like listening to matt and myself talk college football don't forget folks to make sure and leave us a five-star rating and a review if you are an apple podcast listener matt nigel the nighthawk he has some news he delivered some news um we have one big one you have some lsu stuff that you can get into if you would like uh but the big one to me 
that I think is so interesting coming from Ross Dellinger of SI.com. Sources, Conference USA asks the AAC to consider a reorganizing of both conferences. Seems like a long shot, but Matt, sanity might be prevailing in this conference. Shout out to CUSA Commissioner Judy McLeod, who honestly just seems delightful. The antithesis of Greg Sankey. Very, very pro Miss McLeod. I, I loved all of these comments. I love the quote. There's so much insanity. This is worth a shot. Instead of continuing to perpetuate the insanity, our presidents are willing and would like to have broader conversations about it. We can't do it alone. I just, this is all great. It's all based on the AAC and the CUSA combining and being like, this makes no sense that SMU plays Temple. And this makes no sense with the traveling costs and what it does to budgets and all of that. Um, split them up based on region, the eastern coast, like the east side and the west side. It all makes sense. They lay it out in the piece. I am all the way here for it, but it seems like the AAC commissioner has no interest. They're looking to add people from all over the place. It looks like UAB is on their way to the AAC uh, Mike Oresco, big fan of the pod. Uh, just make sure you you give this a shot because this makes sense and this is good. This is good for the sport. We should get back to the regional stuff. I'm very pro this. What about you, Matt Green? Well, yeah, I mean, in general, I am pro the conferences being like a little regional, you know, just section of the country. Like it makes sense, but like we've abandoned this already and especially two conferences named the American Athletic Conference and Conference USA like these conferences have no there's no Pac-12 you know there's no Atlantic Coast like Atlantic Coast like West Virginia is not on the Atlantic Coast you know so it's like Notre Dame's not on the Atlantic Coast so it's like that kind of that stuff kind of went out the window a while ago so these two actually can you'd be in anywhere in the country and it makes sense for you to be in conference usa so i um i don't really know, know fully grasp the idea of what reorganizing means is it just simply geographically like and that's it because like as the aac like you're obviously you feel like you're currently superior to the conference usa so but you're not like, what, you're still a group of five school you you're not superior like you're not I mean, I guess once they lose UCF and Cincinnati and Houston, and then BYU's the other one coming from uh, Independent. So, mm. yeah, once you lose in those big three, it's definitely not as good of a conference. But I don't know. I can understand, like, the idea, but, like, what are you going to turn it into? Like, I don't know. It's just it's it's hard for me to grasp like just reorg like just just trading teams in a conference. Like all this all this like realignment's been crazy, but it it feels like there's a method to the madness. Like, oh, well, we're going up here cuz we want to get this TV market and we want to, you know, add this team for, you know, competitive reasons and like it's just like just just doing it just to just just to make sense of the regional part. It's that's honestly just probably not a good enough reason in 2021. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's something to monitor. Something to monitor. You have something new on LSU, Matt Green. Well, yeah. There's a you know we've heard Keishawn Butte earlier this week uh, is 
going to have an injury that's going to keep him out for the season. And now you're hearing Elias Ricks also has an injury to keep him out of the season. This is still kind of at the rumor stage, but there is rumors that Elias Ricks isn't just injured, that he might just he might be hitting up the transfer portal. So I don't know. It's it's crazy what's happening in LSU right now. So this this team is just seems to be going on the rails. Just going off the rails, I should say. And Ed Ordron just seems like like a dead man walking, honestly. Like like I remember a couple years ago, I can't even remember if it was Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa because they they're like the same person. <laughs> and who's the younger one? Nick? I think Nick's the younger one, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I believe it was him who hurt himself his last year at Ohio State, uh, like week two, week three, and then, you know, five, six weeks later, he's like, you know, I might be better by the end of the season, but I'm just going to opt out and just train for the draft, you know, and no one judged him for it. Everyone understands business decision or whatever, but I just felt like it was terrible PR because just say he's out for the season. You're like, yeah, just this injury is just going to keep me out the whole season, but I'm going to train for the draft. You know, like that simple as that. You don't, you don't even have to paint this picture of this guy like opted out on his team. That's what it feels like with these LSU guys. They're like, fuck this team. I don't want to play for this team anymore. This team's going nowhere. I'm going to the league. Yeah. Let's just say it's a nagging injury and I'm going to go ahead and get surgery and I'll see you next year in the league. Yeah. We'll see. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Did you see what Kirk Herbstreit suggested for Rattler? Uh, no. That if he gets benched, that, like, he might just... And I shouldn't say that he encouraged this. I, he mentioned that this is a possibility is that Rattler just shuts it down. He doesn't transfer. He just starts preparing for the draft. He goes full Jamie Newman, basically. Well, because that worked out super well for Jamie Newman. So that's probably uh, that's probably the route he should go. The Newman stuff is so sad. Um, I feel for him. Someone gave him some terrible advice. But, um... The, the the most recent rumors I've seen about Rattler is he's supposedly not even enrolled in OU student directory. Is that, you know, if there's some truth to that? I have no idea. But I do know that it's OU shut Twitter, down. So it uh, has to be true. So. <laughs> well, friend of the pod, Austin Kurtwright, who was on the, the program earlier this week, um, broke some news at the OU Daily where <laughs> it, it, it ruffled some feathers because OU closed off uh, media uh until the game or something this week because they reported on being up and seeing that caleb williams was getting the majority of the first team reps in practice and reported on it um so they shut down all media availability for the rest of the week um yeah so things are not going great there and it's like that's someone who didn't have access to the program Mm -hmm. it's like so all these people that do have access like no now you don't have access because this dude got on top of a building and got some binoculars and looked at our, into our practice like that's just kind of crazy to me also did you see someone shared a picture of a dorm that has a view of the practice field and they have like fogged out windows at oklahoma no way like how pissed would you be <laughs> if you're in a tiny little dorm and your window is just <laughs> fogged out you can't even see out of it that's terrible but you, I bet you're uh, still paying a shit ton in uh, tuition. Yeah, that's weird. They just, I wonder how they explain that in the room. And this is your room. Don't mind the fog. That's just, it's part of the deal. Uh, it's can... a safety precaution. <laughs> oh man, that's that's Not wild. as bad as those Purdue dorms. There's like, 
and just like a giant gym or library, whatever they had going on. Like, did you see that? I did not. You're because the dorm of, guy. You know, well, like you're the uniform guy and you're the college dorm guy. No, well, it's because of like, I guess they had like too many kids coming into this semester or something. Mm. And it's like a legit, like, I don't even know if it was a gym or a dorm, but just a giant room or library or gym or something. It was just like a giant just room. And all these people essentially are just like, cubicles their dorms are like little cubicles like that's like the worst idea i've ever heard like 18 year olds are gonna be stealing shit like that's just like terrible you have like no locks on any of your stuff no no door like it's just a giant room it was like it was a big story i'm not like just following uh college dorms or anything mm. yeah i don't know that uh that's wild that's I, I don't know about that. Um, but there you go. Matt Green, the dorm, the dorm reporter. He, he's on the case. <laughs> he's on the case. Um, Back to you. <laughs> well, we're going to pause real quick for a message from our sponsors. And then we got some games to, to preview, sir. All right, we are back on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined, as I am, every single Thursday on this very podcast, Matt Green. Matt, we have to start with another game that is the game of the week for your Georgia Bulldogs, where you're favored by multiple scores. It gets the game day treatment. Athens will be buzzing. Fans will be happy. The Kentucky Wildcats. Huh? I think we need to... uh, I think we need to refresh the the viewers on our mm. on our season pick'em oh yeah, yeah, yeah. standing mm-hmm. okay so let me uh let me refresh yet after your best week of the season my night ad actually is my both of our best week of the season uh you are now 37 and 30 overall and 32 33 and 2 against the spread mm-hmm. and i am 45 and 22 overall and 35 30 and 2 against the spread so you're right, right there. Three games behind in the uh, against the spread, and then uh, I got a solid eight game lead on you overall. But yes, yes, sir. Back to your uh, Georgia Kentucky college game day. <laughs> well, what the, the spread's what eighteen and a half right now? Uh t- oh, right now I know we got it at twenty two and a half. It was twenty two and a half. Oh my goodness! Like this is the thing. Um, right now on ESPN, it's saying like the line next to the game says twenty three. Mm. But we're going with 22 and a half, correct? Yes, 22 and a half is what we got. I just, these are the kind of things where I'm like, I guess it doesn't really matter if the game's close. Game day is just like, it's a good moment for Kentucky fans. It's a good moment for these programs. But like, if you're going for the better game, like Tennessee Old Miss is going to be close. Um, Arizona State, Utah is huge. Um, they're college yeah, but well you got to think about just the, the rankings. I mean, number one versus number 11. Then six and over six and oh like and just in terms of that it's definitely the best game on paper like even though like it's other people's opinion that it's not going to be close you know but the game itself like number one versus number 11 is a huge two undefeated teams in the same division too like all of that like amounts to being like a, a huge huge game with big like you know outcome from it that's fair um I don't know. I, I just think that they should be like, when are you going to have a better opportunity to go to Utah? Like just go to Utah, Utah, Arizona state. It's but, a huge game. But Utah is not even ranked. Like no one cares. Utah's good. 
Yeah, that's they can sit in the north. Fine. If Arizona State wins this, they have like I don't think we'll get to this game, but like that has real college football playoff implications. Like that means they are in the driver's seat to make the playoff. Like Arizona State's right there. I don't know if people know this or not, but Arizona State's schedule after this, a cakewalk. Like this is it for Arizona State. They are walking towards eleven and one after this. Um now that's true, but we all we just all have our opinion of what Kentucky is, and mm-hmm. then you know it's Vegas making it look like it's going to be a blowout. You know, it's like we don't know that it's going to be a blowout. We just mm-hmm. know that Georgia's we know that Georgia's blown out teams so far, teams of similar caliber to Kentucky, or that we think are similar caliber to Kentucky. But I mean, this is six and over six and zero oh, to decide the East. So I can definitely understand. I was I was surprised for sure that for the main reason they they were just in Athens two weeks ago that was that was probably the biggest reason i was surprised but i think um so it sounds to me like you don't think this one's gonna be close no i don't um no i i I don't um but you said did you put are we sure kentucky is better than georgia on our show sheet no you wrote that why did i write that i don't remember writing (laughs) that i was wondering where you're going with that um i don't know why i wrote that that wasn't today that was something i added to the that was something i was thinking about i think there was more to that that i just moved yeah, on from the doc days ago phrased or something yeah um my first thing i wanted to throw at you though because Traylon burks was not a factor who might be the best wide receiver in the sec this year against georgia wandale robertson though Rondo robertson is a superstar he's been great for uk thus far he's a swiss army knife um is he a different kind of threat for Georgia? Does he pose a unique threat that Georgia is not equipped to handle? Well, I don't think there's any kind of threat that this Georgia defense isn't equipped to handle. Like the only thing I would say, like no one's equipped to handle is, you know, a Joe Burrow or something, but there is none of those in college football right now. Wando Robinson is definitely a stud. And I feel like the only thing that makes me wonder about him compared to Traylon Burks is, he makes way more of his plays after the catch and like George is just such a good tackling team. Like I can see him, you know, making a big play here or there, you know, but maybe he's got a reverse or just catches a screen pass or, you know, making a play. Cause he is a dynamic athlete. I think he's one of the best, you know, just pure playmakers in the sec this year. But I just don't think this, like just when, when teams are one dimensional like this against Georgia, especially if their one dimension is running the ball. Like, I don't think they have really any chance to move the ball with any consistency. Like, the, like I think Kentucky's a better, better team than Auburn, I think. Like, I don't know that they're better than Auburn. I think they're better than Auburn. But I would say they're somewhere in between Auburn and Arkansas. Like, Oh, that's what it was. That's what I just remembered. I just realized this. I wrote Georgia because I was looking at Georgia. I now know you just brought it full circle. I meant to write, are we sure Kentucky is better than Arkansas? That's what I would. I, I, yeah. And I'm not sure of that. I think yeah. they're both built very similarly, like in terms of being very defensively sound and running the football and everything. And then also in having kind of that one playmaker on the outside mm. or one true playmaker on the outside. But I think KJ Jefferson is a whole nother level above uh, Will Levis. Like, I feel like Kentucky's passing game has just been so just non-existent this year. The fact that they're not going to be able to, like, challenge Georgia down the field, like, I think that's really the only way you can beat Georgia is 
is by just passing over the top. And I'm not even sure teams, you know, no one's really proven that they can beat them that way really this year um, because I think their secondary has been underrated just with how much is talked about this defensive line and, and front six or seven that they play. But I just you're just not going to run on this defensive front. And if that's what Kentucky wants to do, like I, I could just see this game getting out of hand like fairly quick. I could see it being very similar to the Arkansas game, honestly. Like like maybe they don't jump on jump up on them twenty one to zero in the in the first half, but like Arkan like the Auburn game was a blowout that you know, felt like a close game for, for two and a half, three quarters. Like, I don't see this game being a close game for two or three quarters. Like, so far this year, Georgia has an 18% blitz rate, which is the lowest uh, under Kirby Smart. But they have a 12% sack rate, which is the highest uh, under Kirby Smart and fifth in the country this year. They're just going to get after the passer anytime they try to do anything in the past game, and and I just don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. I feel like it's probably going to be, you know, similar scoreline to Arkansas, like I said, like a 35-10, 38-10 or something like that. Like, I, yeah, I see it being a pretty dominating performance. And I think what's being – one thing that's being overlooked about Georgia is how good the offense has been. Like, they're playing with their backup quarterback, like missing probably five of, like, the top eight wide receivers we anticipated coming into this season. Like – and this team's scoring almost 40 points a game. Like, if you combine, like, their their quarterback stats, like, they're seventh in the SEC in passing yards per game, third in the SEC in passing touchdowns, third in quarterback rating and efficiency rating in the SEC. Like, Georgia's getting a lot out of the passing game. Like, they're able to pass basically whenever they want to on teams, and then they've just gotten up big, and they just start running and, and melting the clock. So... I think uh, I think Kentucky has been a solid team this year, and I could see them, you know, maybe even running the table from this point forward. You know, I don't think many of us would have predicted uh, Kentucky being eleven and one when the season started. I don't know, maybe ten. I would see ten and two. Honestly, I feel like it's very realistic for Kentucky this year, but I don't. I don't think they're anywhere close to Georgia's level right now. Yeah, I I don't think so either. I don't think this is going to be particularly close. Um, I think they're worse than Arkansas. I think the majority of the teams in the West are better than Kentucky. I think Kentucky's good, but Kentucky's an undefeated season to this point. It's pretty. I mean, the the Florida win's nice. I think that's their their big thing. But they struggle with Chattanooga. They've struggled with some some lower level competition. And I mean, I think they get blitzed by Tennessee. Like I think that's coming. Um, and you talk about jumping on teams early. Leave that to the volunteers, Matt Green. Don't don't try and take that from the volunteers. That's what we do best. Um, Georgia does a lot of things well, but that is something that they cannot cannot match. Uh, the, the Tennessee Vols put together. We'll see. Fifty six to nothing in the first quarter of the last two weeks. Um, the Wildcats' last win over a number one ranked opponent came in two thousand seven when they beat who? Matt Green in Lexington. Uh, that would be LSU. Andre and before Woodson. that. That was the team Andre Woodson, Steve Johnson. Yes. Um, before that, um, I don't know, probably the 50s. Before that was a win over the top-ranked 1964 Ole Miss Rebels and a 1951 Sugar Bowl victory over Oklahoma. Yeah, that's uh, some ancient history right there. But the last time they beat Georgia and Athens was uh, 2009. Joe Cox and uh, 
watch Sean Ely and oh, Caleb man. King and the gang. Your, your Parkview boy there. Well, he, he left us at the end. He transferred to GAC. He didn't finish. That, that, that part, is yeah. true. It's brutal. His, whole, his brother was coaching there. It was a whole mess. It was a whole mess. Um, but yeah, no, Caleb King, nice kid. Um, Texas, Oklahoma State. This is something I'm very interested in watching. I'm excited for this one. But I would might I would like to make this Matt Green my lock of the week. I am lock locking up Texas week. here. Lock it up. I am not a believer in this Oklahoma State offense whatsoever. Their defense is legit, but I am not convinced that OSU is going to be able to play the defensive kind of game they want to play against Sark, Casey Thompson, Bijan Robinson, and this collection of talent on this Texas front. Like I, I think Texas is just going to score too much. Um, but I do get a little bit nervous because Oklahoma State's quietly dominated Texas in recent years. They've won five of the last six matchups against Texas in Austin and is seven and four in its last 11 meetings against the Longhorns. Um, OSU's defense has allowed fewer than 100 yards of offense in a half in each of its last four games. So like when they're able to smother teams and play their kind of style, drag teams in the mud and just really make life difficult with their their senior linebacker whose name escapes me in the moment who's been sensational to this point but i just i don't think that's sustainable i don't think it's sustainable against oklahoma or texas i think they're going to score too much i think this is where the undefeated season ends for for the cowboys what about you yeah i um i went back and forth with this one for a little bit because it, it feels like it could be a letdown game you know like with how with how insane that Oklahoma game was, you know, just going back and forth and, and, you know, just seeing them battle with Oklahoma the way they did, it's almost like you have this feeling of, okay, Texas is not, not that Texas is back, but that, okay, they're clearly up there with Oklahoma as like the class of the big 12 right now. And this is at home. But I, I feel like Oklahoma State is going to keep this close. I was so close to picking them to cover the spread just because, like you said, Oklahoma State has played them so well in recent years. And, you know, every game between these two teams is basically decided by a single score. So I started to pick Oklahoma State. But like you said, I just don't think if this gets in any type of shootout at all, Oklahoma State's offense is just not going to be able to hang with Texas. Just with Xavier Worthy, Bijan Robinson, just too many playweight makers. And I feel like Casey Thompson has honestly like solidified the quarterback position too. So I think you're right. I'm gonna stick with you. I'm gonna go Texas as well. You really just don't want me to catch you. That's what's happening here. <laughs> you picked Georgia, right? I did Georgia to win a okay. cover. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. We'll see. You know, it's a strategy. Okay. I would never, I would never though. <laughs> uh, don't, Auburn. Don't you question my integrity, sir. I wouldn't. I'm just asking questions. I'm not questioning your integrity. I'm just asking the general question, sir. Um, Auburn Tigers, Arkansas next, correct? Yes. Auburn at Arkansas. Arkansas is a three and a half point favorite. This is our noon CBS game. First game of the uh, doubleheader. Arkansas at home, three and a half point favorite. Arkansas is coming off two losses, but I feel like... I feel like after that Ole Miss game, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be something. I feel like they can build off that game. Like, we all talk about Sam Pittman and kind of all these intangible, like, things he does. I think, I feel like going for two at the end, even though they didn't get it, it just kind of speaks a belief in the team. Whereas Auburn, I feel like just feels 
like they have nothing to play for right now. And Auburn is one of those teams that like I feel like they seem like such a momentum team. And you know, maybe I'm basing this too much on off the past, but they feel like one of those teams that like when things are going well, they can beat anybody. And when things are going poorly, they can lose to anybody. And you know, it it's a loss to Georgia. It's not like anything you should really be, you know, discouraged about, but Auburn's got five straight in the series over Arkansas, but we know how it ended last year with that questionable spike play, uh, fumble, whatever you want to call it, with Bo Nix. I think uh, I think Arkansas is the better team this year, and being at home, I uh, I like Arkansas to win and cover. Whew. Um, this is hard. I think this is going to be an extremely close game. I think this is going to be a really dumb game. I think it's going to be a lot of thank you for not coaching in this one. I don't think this is going to be a fun uh, fun coaching back and forth here. Um, Harson really wants to establish the run. Auburn hasn't been able to do so, so they've had to pass a lot more than they would have liked. Tank Bigsby, I don't even think, leads the team in rushing this season. So, offensive line play has been a problem. Drops have been a problem. Um, this is from Pro Football Focus. Auburn leads the SEC with 22 drops to this point uh, mississippi state is second uh, with 15 um, yeah, i bet they had four or five last week alone yeah it's a problem and then they fired their wide receiver coach already i don't know if you saw that so he got axed yeah, that was after like was that after the penn state game yes after three weeks mm-hmm. it's a terrible decision not a good look not a good look and they've already surpassed its drop total from last season where they had 19 total they're not even halfway down the season. Like that's it. That's just bonkers to me. Seth Williams is not on this roster anymore, Matt Green. Um, I don't know. I I think Auburn. I keep waiting for them to come together and figure it all out because I think they do have the talent advantage over Arkansas. I weirdly trust healthy Bo Nix over a hobbled KJ Jefferson here, but I also just don't see Sam Pittman's group winning, losing three straight um this would be disastrous for them so i i'm less sure about auburn than i am arkansas i think arkansas is an eight and four team i think auburn might be a seven and five six and six team give me the hogs to win and cover as well all right and uh keeping it moving in the sec you know this is our uh only full slate of sec games this year this is a uh, seven seven sec games everyone is a uh, playing an in action and playing an sec team this week we were spoiled and, uh, last year yeah, yeah, gotta love this. So moving on, we got another noon kickoff. ESPN, twentieth ranked Florida goes into Death Valley, and LSU is a ten point home dog. And two weeks ago, I would have said like Florida was on upset alert going into LSU. The ten point spread kind of you know makes me feel you know a little little hesitant on this one, but. LSU just feels like a dumpster fire right now, <laughs> and I feel like that's why I got to go with Florida. Like I don't know if uh, I think we might see a little bit more of Anthony Richardson in this one. I don't know. We we'll see, but uh, I just this is more of an indictment on LSU than anything else. Like I like Florida to win and cover. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I I think this is a game I've never been less intrigued by. Like LSU, it's done. Like this is how you know Ed Orgeron's out. Ten and a half point dog at home against Florida. This Florida team, um, they're obviously hurt. A lot of dudes out. Max Johnson's been fine. This offensive line can't block. Uh, they can't run the football whatsoever. Uh, they already lost their best wide receiver. They're not going to score enough points. The defense is 
somewhat better than a year ago, but man, now I think Florida wins, Florida covers. Like this is a bad look. Mullen needs to blow this LSU team out. This might be the end of Ordron right here, getting blown out at home by Florida. Um, this could be it. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, and I feel like they're not afraid to uh, to just cut ties right here in the middle of the season either. Mm. But I have heard that the reason are going. I forgot who was I was listening to mention this as to why he hasn't been fired yet, which is that like it makes no sense. I think it was Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman on the Staples show this week, where he I think that's who I was listening to, who made the point that the reason they might keep him longer is because this is a whole new staff from a year ago that he cleaned house and that there's no one who is experienced enough to be an interim for the majority of the season that they just, they literally can't turn to anybody. So they like just have to ride this out. I don't know. Oh, wow. I thought that was interesting. Like when you clean house like this on a staff, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but I'm sure there's some, there's some guys who can coach football. Like I feel like, they can probably do a better job than Ed Orgeron's been doing. Like, Ooh, shots fired. Who knows? All right. Well, give me Florida to win and cover. Where are we going All next? Right. We're, uh, we got a lot of uh, agreements so far. Only agreements so far. I don't like so, it. Uh, keep, I don't like it either. Um, future Big 12 matchup we got here. BYU at Baylor. Baylor is a four and a half point favorite in Waco at home. This is a 330 ESPN kick. I've just uh I've been real impressed with Baylor this year. Just I feel like they're one of the more balanced teams in the Big Twelve. Like they're third uh third in the Big Twelve in total offense and third in the Big Twelve in total defense. They just feel like a real balanced attack. And um I think at home I like them to to take care of BYU. This isn't the Pac-12 South. They're they're playing pig they're playing big boy football in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I um I think. Baylor wins here and wins big. Uh, BYU has some problems. Jaron Hall has been hurt, missed multiple games. They have a little bit of a quarterback battle with Romney and Hall. Um, They haven't settled that yet. I think this is just a bounce back year for BYU. I think they're still good. They're just not elite like they were a year ago. Um, Baylor knows exactly who they are offensively. They know exactly who they are defensively. The Jeff Grimes Bowl, I think they they play keep away. And I, uh, I think Baylor wins here and covers. All right, another agreement. I, um, I keeping like it moving. ESPN two at three thirty. Oh wait, can I give you a BYU stat in this one? Yeah. So Boise State, a program that has a. Uh, so this was something I thought was interesting. I just found this when I was looking at BYU and stuff because I was looking at BYU Boise from last week. So I didn't know this, and just because you're you're a fellow college football stat nerd, um, Boise State has the second best winning percentage in college football since 2000 trailing only who i know you're looking at it so it doesn't even matter it's ohio state yeah is that not crazy (laughs) that is i've seen uh, i've seen similar stats like that before so it didn't necessarily blow my mind but um yeah i mean boise state i feel like people are quick to forget really how how good they really were like i mean this team was in the conversation of you know maybe having what it takes to get in the in the BCS national championship when it was just two teams, you know? So, like, they were getting that national respect, basically becoming the Gonzaga of college football. But, um, yeah, I think once Chris Peterson left, they kind of uh, derailed that. Absolutely. Um, but it looks like they're figuring some stuff out. We'll get to Boise. They're also Still solid, pick for sure. Um, where are we going next? Uh, 3.30 ESPN2, we got Pittsburgh going to Blacks- Blacksburg. Easy for me to say. <laughs> 
Uh, Virginia Tech is a four-point home dog. And I thought about pulling the trigger with the home dog here. Mm. Oh, you don't want to do that. You know where the home dog's going. It's going to pain you, but you know where the home dog's going, Matt Green. You know who your home dog of the week is this week. And then um, I just feel like after that Notre Dame, it felt like they put everything into that Notre Dame game. Like that that felt like the upset they were going to pull as the home dog. And this week... I just think Pittsburgh, like, I'm not sure Pittsburgh is actually better than Notre Dame, but I feel like it's just a worse matchup for Virginia Tech. Like, this is, I think you already knew this, and you threw this fact out last week. Pittsburgh is the number one scoring offense in college football. Like, that's just an absurd sentence to say (laughs) under Pat Narduzzi, like the defensive guy. Virginia Tech has the 13th scoring offense in the ACC, you care to guess who has the 14th scoring offense in the ACC, which would be last, by the way. Ooh. Um, hmm. Give me a second. I'm thinking. Um, Duke. Clemson. Oh, my goodness. I should have said Clemson. Clemson at 21 points a game. Lowest mm. uh, lowest uh, scoring offense and the worst scoring offense in the ACC. But Virginia Incredible. Tech is a is a close second worst scoring offense in the S- in the ACC and i just think pittsburgh just going to have too much offense can he pick it this year like he's uh he's been on another level 19 touchdowns one pick so i just don't think they're going to be able to score with pittsburgh so give me give me the panthers uh to win and cover what was the number again uh pittsburgh minus 4 mm. I think Pittsburgh wins and covers their offense is for real. Um, but Virginia tech is the best defense that they have faced thus far. Like this is the biggest test they've had. Uh, Justin Hamilton's doing really great work with that hokey defense. The offense is a problem. I don't, is Burmeister even playing in this one? Have they announced that? Cause he's been hurt. Um, the pit offense is number six nationally in yards per game at 516. Um, they are number three in scoring offense and points per game against FBS schools, which is also important. Yours was like as a whole, but just against FBS, they're still averaging 46.3 points per game. Virginia Tech's offense can't do that. They beat North Carolina's of the world by keeping it low scoring and maintaining possession and running a bunch of dudes and um, taking shots every now and then with Burmeister. But yeah, I don't think they can play the way they want to play and beat beat pittsburgh so give me give me Pitt. like beating notre dame is a very different thing notre dame's offense is is a mess at the moment their offensive line's a mess they can't run the ball it's all very different kenny pickett is a legitimate college football star quarterback this year like he just is and it it's uncomfortable for me matt green like it's uncomfortable for me to say that out loud but kenny pickett's a star quarterback this year so give me give me Pitt. he's definitely played like it this year um and this next one keeping it moving I don't know how this game is on SEC Network and mm. not the primetime ESPN game. I mean, Alabama, Mississippi State is our 7 o'clock ESPN. Like, I think most people would love to see Lane Kiffin and his return to Knoxville. 13th ranked Ole Miss Rebels at Tennessee. Balls are a three-point home dog. There is not going to be a lot of defense played in this game. We are going to see some points. You got the over-under at 82 right now and um i'll let you go i know you have a lot to say about this game so well, well to be fair to be clear the vols defense is solid 
they're not like the defensive line's been very good. Butler and Barron and Young, like they're good. The defensive line's good. Um, Juwan Mitchell's out for the season, but Tennessee's getting a lot of dudes back who've been banged up. Um, so that's important. Jabari Small is going to play this week. Uh, Cade Mays is, or Cooper Mays is back this week. Uh, they're getting healthy across the board. Um, they kept some guys out just to, as precaution as of late to get them ready for a game like this. Uh, the problem with Tennessee is they don't force turnovers, like, defensively at all. So, like, Old Miss is just going to – like, they do a lot of bend, don't break. Um, they don't have any playmakers on, on that end. But they do have a defensive line that keeps things in front of them. Um, it's been good against the run. But, uh, yeah, I think Old Miss will score. They're going to gobble up a bunch of yards. But we'll see what happens in the red zone and stuff like that. But home dog of the week right here. Um, Tennessee, Old Miss, it's going to be close. I, I've gone back and forth on who will actually win, but I do think this will come down to the last possession. Um, teams can run an Ole Miss, though. And I don't know if you've watched what happens to teams that play Tennessee when they have uh, a, a defense that can get gashed up on the run. Teon's healthy. Small's back. Um, Tennessee's offensive line is getting better. Hooker takes the shots when he can. He's also elite on the ground. Um, he's become one of the most efficient quarterbacks in college football. Uh this is going to be fun. I think this is going to be a track meet. 82 might be a little high for me in this game. But as of right now, give me the balls to win and cover in a close one. Give me give me the balls. Tennessee this year is averaging 47 points per game mm. versus non-top 25 teams. They have only played one top 25 team, and they scored 14 points. Well, that's not true. Florida, Pitt's there. Was, Pitt's not top 25. Are they not top 25 anymore? I don't believe so. But to my knowledge, Florida is the only uh, top 25 team they've played. And granted, that was in the swamp. Mm-hmm. But that was a they put 14 points that game. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see. Like, I think this is a real crossroads game, like, for Tennessee. Like, kind of how... Like, I'm still not sold on Ole Miss. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think they could still trip up and lose a couple times this year. But I think this is kind of going to tell us what Tennessee's ceiling is this year. Like, can this team actually, you know, can they can they go 10-2? and two? Or I, I guess most people don't think they're going to be Georgia. But can they go 9-3? and three? You know, I mean, I think 6-6 six, six and six was almost the expectation coming into this season. And this team's looking like they can, you know, they can be an 8-4, and 9-3 and three type team. So... I just think Ole Miss is a year ahead of Tennessee. Like, I think this is – I went back and forth on this game, but I think I think Tennessee still hasn't been challenged by really any good teams in the SEC other than Florida, and you saw how that game turned out. Like, with Missouri and South Carolina, like, I'm afraid they're, they're a, a hair above Vanderbilt, honestly, down in the bottom of the SEC. Like, those three teams have just been – just been terrible this year like i was dead wrong on missouri i thought they might be a low-key dark horse in the in the east this year but um so I, I i could see this being a very close game but i think in the end i'm gonna go uh with lane kiffin to get the dub in his homecoming and uh our homecoming i don't know what you want to call it i don't think Knox was his home but in his return to knoxville take i'll take Ole miss to win and cover hmm I mean, but I don't I'm hate not it. Super confident though. I but three points. You know, they they could win by a touchdown. I could. I, I think this is going to be a great game. I think. I think Alabama at Mississippi State is just going to be a terrible game. I feel like, especially how sexy this game is with 
you know, we had all the hype with Peyton and Eli and Lane Kiffin coming back to Tennessee, like with Tennessee scoring all the points they are, Checker in Knoxville, all that. I uh, This seemed like a primetime ESPN game to me. But uh, I digress. We'll see Moving what happens. On. I think at the very least, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I don't think it's going to be good for Kiffin. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening outside the stadium. Like, Hypel was encouraging fans to to get intent. I forgot the word he used. And I was like, oh, no. This is not what you encourage. <laughs> this is not what you encourage. I want you to be return. Yeah, like, I don't... Uh, you don't you don't want to do this. I like I've already like you see some stuff um, inside Neil and uh, fans get rowdy and there's a lot of folks um, coming in and like now because of the lines with uh, alcohol sales and because everything's understaffed uh, people just buy two tall boys together so they don't have to go back like that's what you see constantly it's just people walking around with uh, two two um, two beers at the same time see it all the time they just do beers at the same time yeah so it's just uh let's not encourage it uh it might get a little crazy uh i don't know i think it's gonna be pretty pretty nuts at the very least gotta love it and yeah don't get me wrong i am not sold on this old miss team like i could see them getting tripped up a few more times uh before the end of the season but i started to i started to pick tennessee but i think uh i think they're just a year ahead but we'll we'll keep it uh we'll keep moving ACC Network, 7.30. We got NC State at Boston College. The Eagles are a two-point home dog. You know what that means, man. Mm. You know I've been on Boston College this year. Mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on the Boston College bandwagon. You're going down with this ship. I think NC State's been, you know, they've been very solid this year. I think one of the... One of the few teams in the ACC that's actually been better than they were expected to be coming into the season. and um, But I just – I like Boston College. And at, at home, I, I feel like I just – I like them to get it done. So so give me Boston College, home dog, win and cover. Mm. I mean, I don't know whose luck runs out first, Wake or Boston College. But Wake really, really struggling against Syracuse in the road. It's not a good sign. But – NC State's, uh, I think, also the better team. I still think NC State is a case for being the best team in the, the ACC. If they're the best team in the ACC and they've really turned the corner with Dave Dorn and uh, Devin Leary and friends, then they have to win this game. Uh, so give me the the pack to win and cover. They've uh, they've only played one road game this year, mm. and it was, a, it was a blowout at the hands of Mississippi State. So... You know, they could be a different team when it comes to home and road. You don't, you don't just go into a... <laughs> into chestnut hill whatever the stadium is called and get a dub right hostile environment mm-hmm. even if uh even if eli drinkowitz does not want their players mm. oh, um man. you remember him throwing shade man mm-hmm. i guess this boston college team i like i like the uh I like the chip on their shoulder they play with but um another fan favorite of mine on the pod uh we moved to the little apple Iowa State at Kansas State, and Kansas State is a four and a half point dog at home. I just don't know what to expect from Iowa State week in, week out, to be honest. And I think, I think at home, like Kansas State has not has not been great by any means at, at this season. But but at home, I I think I'm I'm liking the Wildcats. And uh, did Iowa State come off a bye too? Am I misremembering that? Um, I'll have to check on that for you. Because I know K-State did. So K-State got some time away since the Oklahoma game. Skylar Thompson's healthy. Deuce Vaughn's right there. 
Um, they took Oklahoma to its to just like to an extent that they just hate it. And I was talking to Austin about it. And it's just like Oklahoma has no interest in playing Kansas state again. Um, and that that will always be a tough game for Lincoln Riley and company, but there's just something off about these cyclones this year. There's just something not right. And what's weird is like, I don't know if they'll score enough to beat K state. Like that is a real thought that I've had where I'm like, I don't know. This feels like if you're going to have trouble with Iowa, do you know who reminds me of Iowa? The way, k-state plays (laughs) like this very physical ground heavy scheme um undersized running back goodson vaughn like i i don't know i feel like this is a bad matchup for the clones give me k-state to win and cover i can hardly say that uh they remind me of iowa though they just (laughs) they don't play defense like iowa plays defense. they try though they're physical they beat they were beaten up on oklahoma they try no, no not sure. many teams play defense like Iowa. It's basically Iowa and Georgia play defense like Iowa and Georgia. That's it. Georgia, Iowa distance second. But That's I not true. Your, That's silly. Point. Don't do that. How many takeaways <laughs> I, do they have I to mean, get? Iowa's averaging like giving up like 13 points a game or oh, something. My like goodness. second in the country. Oh, Georgia's my goodness. up like four. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, the I'm disrespect. saying statistically they kind of are – Georgia's kind of on a league of their own. But no, they're Iowa not. The takeaways played. alone, the Iowa takeaways are insane. Insane. That's true. Takeaways – They matter. Turnover margin matters. Matter, but they don't feel as sustainable as just suffocating another defense. Yeah, because like, – yeah. You can't take it away. I mean, they're doing it, and Iowa's defense has been great. Don't get me wrong. And it's more impressive. They're doing it with three stars. You're doing it with the best of the best. It's not and as impressive. They're also doing it against Big Ten talent, and Georgia's doing it against SEC talent. You Big Ten it. talent's just as good. I mean, Iowa. Had Iowa's had a better play. schedule than Georgia to this point. How? They've had Penn State. I and mean, Iowa like State. Iowa State. We're just talking about Iowa State. But I'm saying still. Too, like, we're picking them to lose to Kansas State. Like, we're not, hey. we're not too high on Iowa State right now. I, I think Iowa has played the tougher schedule than Georgia. Let's let's uh, Maryland on the road. Maryland looked good at the time. They make teams look bad after the fact, but they beat Indiana to open the year. Georgia's doing. Georgia's making teams like people question how good they actually are. Like Clemson, like Clemson would be more like on par with Iowa State in terms of uh, a quote unquote good team, but they haven't played like it. And I think we can all agree Clemson's way better than Iowa State, right? I mean, I don't know. Not this field. year. I mean, honestly, I don't know. But Georgia also played Clemson before they got real injured, like they kind of are now. Well, the Clemson win does not look good anymore. And Auburn and now Kentucky. Penn State beat Auburn. No, that's fair, but that's that's Iowa's one, like, why are you doing this to Iowa? What did they do to you? Iowa did nothing to you. Iowa's one ranked win. The Big Ten East is loaded, like, I always played Penn State, but they haven't played that loaded. They played Indiana to open the year. They played Iowa State. They played Maryland. Maryland yeah, looked like a juggernaut offensively. Making my point for me, they played Indiana and Maryland. Like those teams have not. Michael Penix Jr. Talia Talgavoyola. Like that's a better. Indiana's been bad this year. They have. Penix isn't healthy. They lost a lot of assistance. Kane Womack left for South Alabama. Yeah, they, it's been a rough year for them. But you know. They'll bounce back. Tom Allen's got a good program up there in Bloomington. They'll be fine. Um, After this week, Georgia will, I mean, unless Auburn drops out of the top 25, which they may have. I'm not sure if they, they might still be in it, but I mean, Georgia's play at Auburn is still a good win. And then Kentucky and Arkansas at home. I mean, those are, 
Those are a bunch of ranked wins in there. Okay. Georgia's just making teams look bad. So you're okay. Yeah, are. Kentucky and Arkansas. That's okay. definitely what happened with Arkansas, though. People were like, "Okay, Arkansas isn't that good," and then they hang fifty on Ole Miss, and it's like, "Okay, maybe Arkansas actually is good." Georgia's defense is just really good. Okay, but this isn't all about Georgia. I was mm-hmm. just throwing that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping it moving. So you you took uh you took Kansas State as well. I did. Um, keeping it moving. Air Force going on the road. You love Air Force. Back-to-back I, weeks, uh, Air Force makes the pick I love it. I was surprised to see this one make the pick but um, Boise State's a six-point favorite at home. I was going back and forth on this one because I do like Air Force this year, and Boise State let me down, but it was against Oklahoma State, so uh, maybe I should, I should get back on the, the Bronco bandwagon. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this one? They figured some stuff out last week. Um, I... I don't know. I think the Broncos, uh, they've won four straight against Air Force, and they all were by double digits. This might be one of those where it's like, Air Force can beat Wyoming. It's very cute, but like it's a different different situation entirely going to Boise. Um, no, I think Boise's figured some stuff out. Uh, give me Boise to win and cover. Yeah, I agree. You look at the the five and one versus the three and three records, and, and you want to give Air Force some credit, but... Um... But yeah, I'm with you. I, I like I like Boise State to win this one. And then um, the final game on our pick. Um, you alluded to this game earlier. Arizona State at Utah. Utah is just a one point favorite at home. This is basically a pick. Um, and I just feel like I know Arizona State's going to lose this game. I'll be honest with you. Like mm. because it feels like this is what the Pac-12 does. It's like you get that team and they get some momentum and then people are like, oh, wow, you know, they're the they're the team to beat in the Pac-12 and then they lay an egg. Like it just seems to be, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick Arizona State to win this game because they're – I think they've clearly been a better team than Utah. It's obviously a rowdy environment there in Salt Lake, but – I just feel like I'm going to be wrong just just because it's a Pac-12 and it's just and it's just craziness. But yeah, I feel like Arizona State's been the better team, so I got to pick them. I mean, they're going to the college football playoff that they win this game, right? No, I mean they have a they have a lot more to go. Have you seen their schedule? Have you seen that Sun Devil schedule after this one? If they get I mean, it, it might be Oregon State in the Pac-12 North title game for them. I mean, why would Oregon State be in the in the Pac-12 championship? I mean, they were in first last week. That's still yeah, in play. Oregon, if they beat Oregon, Oregon to end the season, they're in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, but I feel like they need Oregon there to get to the playoff. Like, no, this. if you win the Pac-12, you're in. 12-1, and one, you're in. See, I disagree. I Who think, are you putting in over him? Well, it just depends on how things work out. I okay, mean, so if Georgia... Undefeated like, Cincinnati, you could put ahead of them. No, you're honestly. not putting Cincinnati like, over Arizona whoever State. Whoever wins the Big Ten uh oklahoma well the thing that helps is i think two sec is almost out now because of the alabama loss i think you're getting one now well but if alabama beats georgia then i think georgia's out it's not over that that, i mean alabama losing was like a guarantee they still get a chance but Mm -hmm. but no you're you're definitely right like they're they're in the driver's seat but like they're gonna be favored in every game from here on out good win like BYU, like UCLA. Well, Utah on the like, road will be a are big those win. Two teams like BYU should be ranked by the end of the year, but well, they lost to BYU. Might not be. Like, oh yeah, yeah, they lost to BYU too. Yeah, so that's that's the one loss, and then UCLA isn't ranked right now, so they need Oregon to be good. They need that to be 
you know, number eight playing number five in the Pac-12 championship. So that's a good win to like launch them into the playoff. Because I think if if they're playing an, a 24th ranked Oregon State in the Pac-12 championship, like that that champion's not getting in. Like there's there's been a pretty established precedent of the the Pac-12 champion not getting in the playoff. So it wouldn't like they they not almost, a 12 and one Pac-12 champion though, right? Who's gone 12 and one that didn't get in? Um, Oregon may have lost two games yeah, that I year they when they got two. upset by Arizona State. Yeah, late. I think they lost two. But, no, that's true, but the Pac-12 is just, it's out of sight, out of mind, you know? Mm-hmm. But they're getting in over Cincinnati. If it's an undefeated Cincinnati and a 12-1 and Arizona State, they're getting in. If that's the choice. If that's the I, final four I spot. I would guarantee that. If their best win of the season is an unranked team or a 20th ranked team. Well, Utah's better like, than Notre Dame this year. Cincinnati, you can make the case UCLA is. Notre Dame is, is, is a better win than any, any I don't game think Notre Dame's that good this year. I don't think that's a good either, win. I don't either, but Arizona State's schedule, like you're talking about Arizona State being a playoff team because of the schedule, not because mm-hmm. they're actually a top four team, you know? Well, I think so, what also helps them is I don't see Oklahoma running the table. There's just too much scare with there. Like I just, I don't, We've seen too much now. The back and forth, the the craziness. I, I don't know, man. I think with Caleb Williams, I think they they have the potential to be a much more dangerous team. Like they look like they looked like the team they were supposed to be with this explosive plays mm-hmm. on offense and everything. Like they looked more like what we're used to Oklahoma being with Caleb Williams. Like it, that seemed like what they're missing. So I I I'm not as quick to to say the loss is is inevitable like i kind of was a week ago with oklahoma and with spencer rattler at the helm like oklahoma looked really i mean obviously they barely beat texas but that offense just looked so much more impressive like i'm a little higher on them this week than i was last week Hmm. okay but i don't know in terms of arizona state like We'll see. A one-loss Pac-12 champion definitely is right there. I think Oregon, though, as a one-loss Pac-12 champion, like they have that that trump card over Ohio State that can that can get them in the playoff. The I don't problem with that though is like that Ohio State team looks completely different than that Ohio State team that was playing that game. Like the DC change happened after. Like if you play that game a hundred times, I think Ohio State wins ninety-nine times. No, and you're probably right, but they they played it once, right? Yeah. Like this is why we play the games. Like that would be a real tough one, I think, for the committee because the head-to-head is so important, but by the end of the year, Oregon could be sitting on, you know, one, maybe two wins over ranked teams where Ohio State, you know, they could potentially have four or five wins over all over top 15, top 20 teams. So like their resume will be so much better by the end and i think we'll all agree that they're a better team by the end but that head to head yeah just it's like you can't go against it because that's why you play the game what's the like you have to go against yeah you have to it happened on the field but it will hurt to put cj stroud on the sidelines and travion henderson on the sidelines for anthony brown like that that hurts because you know that they're getting blitzed like oregon's or ohio state georgia in a one four matchup would be oof that would be extremely interesting the best offense potentially in college football versus the best defense in the playoff and then you and you get rid of that for georgia oregon where georgia wins by five touchdowns honestly right now right now i think ohio state's gonna be the two or three seed okay like, i think i think they're gonna write the table hmm. and i think they're gonna have so many or write the ship i should say they're gonna have so many wins or so many opportunities on this schedule mm-hmm. to 
to propel themselves up the polls. Like, I have a question for you. I'm disrespecting Iowa because they're obviously undefeated number two right now. But I think when it's all said and done, Ohio State's gonna gonna win the Big Ten, and I don't think they're gonna lose another game. And I mean that defense has been susceptible, so it's possible. But I think I could see an Oklahoma Ohio State two three matchup. Personally, so would you say right now that the number two Cincinnati team in Cincinnati or a Pac twelve champion, one lost Pac twelve champion? Like I would love I to see know. Cincinnati Georgia as a redo, like with the game actually mattering this time, and see if last year was real. That'd be cool. I'd be down for that. I'd be down for it if we get a different uniform combination. <laughs> Jeez. Cincinnati wearing all red versus Georgia? Who thought of that? Like, grinds my gears, sir. <laughs> They're definitely way more black with some red. Mm-hmm. Whereas Georgia's... They should wear all white with the black helmet. Black. Say what? They should wear all white with the black helmet if they get that matchup again. Yeah, just something that the teams don't look like the same exact team playing each other. Georgia was rocking the black jerseys, too, with the red helmets. Like, it was madness. I would do, if I was Georgia, I'd bring back those silver ones or those gray ones. Those gray silver you wore against Boise. Bring those back. Those are great. I know you're joking now. (laughs) But all you got to do is wear the damn black jerseys, not these dog collar ones they rocked Mm. last year. Those are embarrassing. That every, I mean, they looked fine. No, that was screen. cringe. That's the cringy like, stuff. Like on the screen, you couldn't really tell, but they looked fine. But yeah, like it was just so corny, so mm-hmm. just cheesy with the dog collar. Like just wear the jerseys that literally every recruit ever is wearing every time they commit to. Georgia. Can you imagine They're if Miami black. did a turnover chain to their jersey? Like they just put that on every player. Like they stitched it on. Like that's the kind of cringe that that was. It's just like, oh, don't do that. Don't don't do that. Oh, man, you may have just given someone an idea. That's terrible. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, so hopefully Georgia get back, back to rocking the, those black jerseys. But, yeah, I think Cincinnati, I think there's something intangible about the voters just seeing a team with that number next to their name for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if, if Cincinnati is just sitting there at number four, for so long and then maybe like we said maybe oklahoma loses maybe iowa loses and just by the way the polls work they kind of nudge their way up to three nudge their way up to two it's like it's gonna be hard to justify like they're gonna get jumped too i'm sure by teams with like that have big wins like an ohio state or something but it's gonna be hard to justify them not getting in the playoff if they're sitting here at number three or something from week seven week eight week nine on you know what i mean i think i think that has a big impact on on just how people perceive cincinnati i mean there's a chance just with with the lack of just marquee games the rest of the way that they'll just continue to get jumped but i think the hard part like you saw boise state do the hard part is just getting people to believe you to begin with, right? To just believe that your brand is capable of playing football. Like, and that's, that's what they've done already to get be preseason number eight or wherever they started. So I think they have a legitimate shot at going in the playoff or to get in, getting to the playoff and any, any sort of upset or, or just madness that happens from here on out is like only going to help Cincinnati get there. Mm. Which naturally brings us back to Arizona state. Utah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Who's we your pick? Tangent there. Who'd you? I picked Arizona State, even though I know I'm going to be wrong. This is a interesting game because, okay, so Utah. 
I just cannot imagine having to go through the kind of season, the kind of year that they've had with Ty Jordan to Aaron Lowe. They laid Aaron Lowe to rest on Monday this week. I just, I don't know what kind of headspace these players are in right now. Like this is just, it almost seems like you shouldn't be playing a football game this week. Like how do you get, I don't know. I just cannot imagine what the Utes are going through and what Kyle Whittingham is saying to these guys uh, to keep this thing moving after two tragic gun-related incidents that took the lives of two players in less than a year's time. Like, it's just, it's awful uh, what happened with Jordan and Lowe. And I I don't know, man. Cam Rising's figuring some stuff offensively, but, like, it just feels weird to talk about Utah right now because I don't want to attribute that. Like, it's just, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to expect week to week. Um, they blow out uh, USD on the road for the first time in forever, um, this would be a gigantic win. This would be the biggest win of the season for them. Do they get up for it? Do they not? Like, I, I have no idea, but I will say if Arizona state wins this game, I just, the PAC 12 gets really interesting. And then we get a PAC 12 title game potentially between an 11 and one sun devils versus an 11 and one, uh, Oregon ducks, potentially that would be an absolute delight. Um, but that being said, Utah's figuring some stuff out. This game's in Utah. Give me the Utes to win and cover. I can't believe I'm doing hold this. Hold on. Hold mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. You you were just putting Arizona State in the college football playoff two seconds ago. I was. If they win this game, they're in the playoff. But I don't think they're winning this game. I, I think Utah's figured some stuff out. And I also, I don't want to bet against Utah. I might just, whenever they pop in the pick em, I'm just picking Utah. There, yeah, that um, we'll see it. We'll see how that strategy works. Um, I'm I'm just shocked right now. I'm I know this after all your Arizona State talk for you to just go ahead and pick against them like that. It's a it's a classic heel turn. Call you uh, call you Chase Corso over here. <laughs> Not so fast, sweetheart. Oh man, I man, that'd be cool. I need to get the mascot helmets. I should have asked Jamie Chadwell yesterday about uh about the uh Clear and see if i can get one sent over they got a cool swag great uniforms in uh, conway south carolina yeah gotta respect what the chanticleers are doing this year undefeated undefeated he's he's rocking a mullet right now too like uh mullet gang over there do you know what his favorite movie his scary movie is macarine his favorite scary movie mm-hmm. um uh, the shining no good guess saw he loves the saw series interesting those were uh you know i'm not a big scary movie guy in yeah. general but uh those are not not a fan those yeah were, although as far as scary movie goes i feel like i did like those more than just like slasher movies there seems something kind of cooler about the whole game and this guy had a bigger purpose in mind or whatever the hell he was kind of doing but um, so I feel like I guess I would put those ahead of other scary movies, but that's still uh, still not my thing. I I remember the one. The, how many were there? Like five. Do you know? Uh, yeah, like that four, sounds right. I'm not sure. Five. I'm not but sure. I remember the one where the person stuck their hand up in a glass box to like get the key, but then the hand would like like the box would like cut their hand off if they like took it back out. I was like, man, that's my last one. I don't need to. I don't need to see any more of these movies. <laughs> there you go, um, Matt. 
that does it for our pick but do you want to run through the rest of the games? Yeah, man, let's do it. Clemson at South, at Syracuse, 7 p.m. on ESPN. This is something to keep an eye on, folks. I don't know if Syracuse oh. will win this one, but man, Clemson's 13 and a half point favorites. I don't know about this one. Clemson's offense is awful. And Syracuse, they're not great. They haven't won an ACC game yet, but 13 and a half is a lot of points for this Clemson team. Uh, I like Clemson I mean, to win. Considering they're scoring like 20, I um, that's definitely bold. This is going to be interesting. I, I think Clemson wins, but would not be surprised if the cardiac orange men keep this close. Over under, over under at 44 and a half. That's too much. I would take the under there. I would take the under. Uh, Cal at Oregon. We got San Diego State 5-0 and on the road at San Jose State. Nick Starkle already up to 1,000 yards through the air. Um, that's one to keep an eye on, folks. San Jose State's they're, they're well coached. The line's nine. Uh, would not be surprised if that one's close and San Diego State and the Fighting Brady Hoax are not there. They have a dual QB thing going on with Bookshire and I forgot the other guy's name. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, UCF at Cincinnati. Any intrigue there? UCF at Cincinnati is an interesting one. But um, like we were saying earlier with, with – uh, that, that's the one thing that kind of hurts Cincinnati is I think the AAC isn't – necessarily as strong as it has been the last two or three years so you're gonna see a few less ranked wins on their uh on their resume but uh yeah i think with what we've seen out of these two teams this year i think cincinnati is uh clearly the better team 21 points Mm. i don't know about that but um i think cincinnati should should definitely take care of business a&m at mizzou nebraska at minnesota and then we got Rutgers at Northwestern. Oh, oh, I'm not watching a second of that. The game of the weekend, though, I don't get the CBS Sports Network, Matt Green. But this is mm. the biggest game for, for some East Hartford super fans. Yale, 2-2 two and two on the year, coming to the UConn Huskies, 0-7. This is it. They don't get the win here. They're going over. The Huskies have to get this one against the Yale Bulldogs. Griffin O'Connor, 75 of 127, 868 yards, 6 TDs for the Yale Bulldogs. Tickets as low as $12. Go check it out, folks. I- I'm I'm here for I this game. I would not pay $12 <laughs> to go to that game. And there's no way tickets are... They, I don't know, there's no way they're charging anyone $12, honestly. I would go. Are you kidding? This seems like a delight. If there weren't other things going on, I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I, I'm curious about how this one goes. Um, your, uh, actually- your cable provider is protecting you from yourself. <laughs> and there's a reason you don't get CBS Sports. This is uh, this is not going to be worth watching. Um, Duke at UVA. Brendan Armstrong has already passed for 2,400 yards. Incredible. Like They're just like air raid over there in uh, Bronco Mindenhall country these days. Um Troy at Texas State. Uh, we got Purdue at Iowa. Um, don't think, think about that. Just 11 and a half point spread. Mm. That Purdue's seems interesting to me. Purdue's, I don't know, man. I think Purdue is just uh, too mistake prone. I don't like the quarterback situation walking into Iowa. I think they throw a lot of pick sixes and, and struggle here. I don't think this one's relatively close. Um, UAB at Southern Miss. Not going well for Will Hall in year one. One and five. UAB four and two. They should roll there. Miami at North Carolina. Can we call this the desperation bowl? Oh man, I um, 
I don't know what to expect out of either of these teams. You seem to be a lot, uh, a lot more on the fire Manny Diaz uh, bandwagon than I, I necessarily thought people would be coming into this season. Not that he's been great by any means. It just still seems early. But um, you think he needs this game to save his job? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I have no idea what Miami's going to do because I don't know if you... Uh, I think he's less safe than Norvell at this point. I, I still don't think he has a job in Miami after this year, but a win over UNC would help. I just don't think they're going to get it. And I think they're going to fall to 2-4. and four. Derek King's out for the year. Um, yeah, I tend to agree. I don't, uh, I don't think it's going well there. Arizona at Colorado for the worst game in the Pac-12 or the weekend 1-4 Colorado versus 0-5 Zona. Oh, a sneaky good game, though. FS2, Wyoming hosting Fresno State at 3.30, Macarene. Okay. Jake Hayner. I like it. I like it. Get on, getting on Fresno? Uh, I, I like Fresno there. Um, Four o'clock, the SEC stink bomb of the season, sir. Vanderbilt at South Carolina. South Carolina are 18-point favorites here. Do they cover? Uh, I think so. I think Vanderbilt has hit a new low, it feels like. I, could, I know they're like never very good, but they they feel worse than normal right now. Like they just like they're not even competitive. Like it's just it's terrible. So far they're they're being outscored 104 to 0 in the two SEC games they've played this year. Mm. That's uh that's not exactly what you want. Can I give you my upset that's not on our sheet for the weekend? What's that? Texas Tech at Kansas. Give me the Jayhawks here. Texas Tech's favored by 16 Get and a half. Out of here. The Kansas Jayhawks. Give me Jason Bean and Lance Leopold and the Jayhawks. This is the game that gets Matt Wells fired. Give me the Jayhawks. Upset uh, alert right here. That's bold. I got a I got an upset alert for you as well. Mm, where are we going? Uh, on at noon, FS1, Michigan State at Indiana. Oh, no chance. No chance. I'm telling you, man. Michigan State, they've got uh, Michigan next week. They've been they've had that game circled. These two teams in the top ten. I think this could be a trap game. I think they could be overlooking Indiana, and I could uh I could see them giving them a game. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to pick Indiana to upset them outright, but I could see this being a uh, one possession game in the fourth quarter. Mm. TCU at Oklahoma. Surprise this did not. This is going to be an upset alert. TCU is going to keep this close. Their offense is good. Zach Evans is good. Um, Max Duggan's good. Like this is going to be an interesting game. I don't think Oklahoma is blowing them out here. I think this is going to be close. Yeah, I um, I really I'm excited to see Oklahoma this week and just kind of you know, bring some clarity to this quarterback situation and everything because I think TCU is a solid team, but I, I like Oklahoma. I think they'll take care of business. Mm. Last one, I know, like I want to get your perspective because this is the the one that people might not see happening, but I think it's very much in play. Army's going to Wisconsin. Army is going to Wisconsin this week. Wisconsin's fourteen point favorites. I think Army can win this game. Really? Graham Mertz is awful. 
this miss this Wisconsin offense is the worst I've seen it in so long that if Army controls the clock and Army gets up twenty one to seven and sits on it, Wisconsin cannot cannot come back from that. They won't have enough time. That's fair, but this is a possibility. Wisconsin has folks. had a very good defense this year, so. But when you don't put people away, you can definitely lose. Over under is at thirty nine, and <laughs> like that's that's crazy. They just don't see any offense at all happening, and yeah, your margin for error is uh, is a lot smaller if you're if you're scoring seventeen points or so. So, yeah, that's a that's a bold call right there. Like, keep your eye on Army. That's all I'm saying. Keep your eye, folks, on the Army Wisconsin by uh, box score as you're watching college football this weekend. Just keep an eye on it. That's all I'm saying. Well, I know everyone just about in the world outside of Tuscaloosa last week was celebrating Texas A&M taking down Alabama just because it's like the New York Yankees just love to see, you know, the number one team go down. So I feel like the only person that was not happy about that was Mike Leach because I feel like this felt like, you know, maybe a dangerous game. Mississippi State, they could uh, catch an Alabama team napping, like coming into Starkville, like a lot of things going for. This Alabama defense has been a little susceptible. Mississippi State put up some points, but coming off a loss, like you're going to see a focused Alabama team. Like Saban's teams after losses tend uh, tend to get it done, but I guess they just tend to get it done all the time so i uh i would have i would have said this game would be closer than the 17 point spread had alabama not been coming off a loss but i think alabama was going to come out and uh and take care of business mm. bold bold prediction that's all i've got matt green going to oak ridge Carnes tomorrow night they moved it to a thursday so i'm getting some friday night lights on thursday this week Oh, very nice. Yeah, I think I saw that Collins Hill and North Gwinnett. Yes, is, uh, ESPN 2 ESPN. tomorrow night, right? ESPN 2? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, on a Thursday night. So, yeah, that's a good one. My, uh, You know, those are my – I grew up in the Collins Hill district, but then moved to North Gwinnett district, you know. so that You got to go to this like, game, Matt Green. You got to go. That a real soft spot for me. I was actually fifth grade GBL tournament. <laughs> you know, I had one of my best games against Collins Hill, you know, really, uh, really earned my stripes for the <laughs> – for the Bulldogs, but um, yeah, that's a that'll be a good one, and I will be in Athens between the hedges this weekend for uh, all the college game day festivities. So uh, should be, should be exciting. I need you to go to this North Gwinnett console game. Report back on Justin Hunter and uh, Sam Horn. Is it Justin um, Hunter or what is it? Is uh, that Travis Hunter. Travis well, Hunter. He, that's he, correct. Uh, he broke his ankle. Oh, did he really? Yeah, and so and in the in a little recruiting nugget for mm. him, he broke his ankle and then on Friday night obviously and then was at that Georgia Arkansas noon kickoff and booted up and everything so wasn't necessarily convenient for him to be there coming off an injury so you know maybe that Florida State commit isn't as firm as we all think but now he's um he's been committed to Florida State for a while so I think he's I think he's solid, but but yeah, I think I think Travis Hunter. It's not as serious as they originally thought. I think they thought it was he was done for the year when he first got hurt. I think now it might just be like four or five weeks. But uh, but yeah, people talk about him like he's dude special. Mm. There you go. 
There you go. Like I heard one guy say, if there was a, if it was possible to give a six star prospect, <laughs> this guy would be a six star. That's what I heard one recruiting analyst say. So, number one player in the country come out of Collins Hill. And even weirder, he's just so firmly committed to the Seminoles. Just I don't, I don't get it. I don't. So weird. I, I think there could be some kind of tie with his family in Florida State. I, I almost assume there has to be because I just don't know how you could be that solid to this program that just is you know there is at least a pulse after what are they coming off two straight wins now so there's at least some sort of pulse now in in Tallahassee but yeah that you would think if you go to any place in the country I would not want to go to this this rebuild two and four team right now but you know at, that's his decision. I guess if Florida, Florida State also produces some big-time corners, and I guess if that's what you're doing at the next level, do your thing. Mm. There you go. Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. If you like listening to Matt and I, new episodes on college football in this feed every Sunday and every Thursday. Um, go check that out. Um yeah, chasethomaspodcast.com. Uh, make sure to email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps. We promise. And uh, subscribe to the to the newsletter, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Matt Green, have fun this weekend, my friend. And I'm excited to, to learn about your weekend on Sunday, hopefully uh, following a victory for both of our squads. You as well, sir. Enjoy your game, your prime time. Knoxville, checkered. Are you in the orange or white section? I don't know if I'm going yet. Ah, it's a it's a thing because uh, if I go, I'll be by myself. So we're we're working on it because I don't know if I'm going to use the student to go by myself or I I don't know. We're still working on it right now. It's also supposed to be raining like it's going to rain. And I don't know if I want to go to the game in the rain by myself. I'm not sure. Oh, come on, man. Don't give me that. Lane Kiffin return to Knoxville. You got to be there. I mean, we'll see. We shall see. I I, I, yeah. I don't know. We I don't know yet. But um, yeah, Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right, hello, and welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who is just drunk off baseball just watched all all of the baseball john taylor of fangraphs.com john good morning sir how are you i am doing well how about yourself not too bad my friend not too bad where do we start which which game do we start do we start with the chicago cubs becoming the cleveland indians do we start uh i mean that's a good story it's a it's a happy story for a major market like chicago to lean into its clevelanditis um aaron boone sticking around in new york for another year there's all kinds of great stuff there no what we're actually going to talk about is what's happening on the field i think we have to talk about first with your red Sox and how they beat the best team in the al and the Tampa bay Rays. what did you learn john about the red Sox in their series against tampa that they're the same chaos driven chaos powered wacky roller coaster of a team that they've been all season there's no rhyme reason sense logic explanation anything they're a they're a good team sometimes they are the worst team in baseball other times but throughout this five game series or sorry four games 
um, they managed to be the better team for enough of it to get past. I mean, I this is, this is why I, I really, I mean, I picked the Rays to win the series and ultimately the pennant in part because I, I thought they were the best team in the American League and, you know, there we go. But I also had figured that the this Red Sox team was just too inconsistent and too flawed in a number of very important places to be able to either win that series or win much of anything going forward. You know, you're talking about a team with arguably two reliable relievers uh, that is the worst defensive team in baseball that has a rotation that is very much piecemeal right now, including a post Tommy John Chris sale, who is very clearly not uh, the Chris sale. We all, we all know and love, or at least I know and love that has an offense that is very strong, but has a lineup that is more or less useless. Once you get past the number six spot in the order, useless is probably a little strong, but and I mean, that's true of a lot of teams. But regardless, there were a lot of reasons I thought, just even just on the field, this Red Sox team wasn't really capable. Even beyond the fact that this is a streaky team where you can never really tell when they're just suddenly going to explode or if they're suddenly going to score two runs over the next four games. So I think what I've learned is that the good parts of this team are good enough that if things catch fire, they can be pretty much anyone on the field. The problem that they have still is that there are still a lot of open like the flaws that exist on this team. You saw them and you saw them on display against Tampa. Like there wasn't really, it's not that they weren't there. They just overcame them, and those flaws are going to have to be overcome again against Houston in more games against probably the best line. No, not probably the best lineup in baseball. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, we're still in play for a Red Sox Dodgers World Series. The Mookie I'm not Bowl. doing that. I'm not going to watch. I am not considering a World Series against Mookie Betts because I will put my head into an oven. I am not dealing with that discourse. I am not dealing with the fact that they could lose a World Series to Mookie Betts. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not doing that. That's fair. That's fair, John. Um, what do we do? We learn anything about the Rays? What did you learn about the Rays after this series? Same thing that same with the Red Sox. That what flaws existed there, and I think I think I don't know how much we talked about this with the Rays. I know we we brought it up that this is a that this was going to be a young rotation and an experienced rotation going to the postseason, and one that really didn't have much depth. And I think what we learned is yeah, the Rays didn't have enough depth. Um. Shane McClanahan, Shane Baz, Luis Patino, all great rookie pitchers, but you were at the, they were being asked to do way too much because there was no one on that staff once Tyler Glasnow went down and once they traded Rich Hill, who, even, be, even beyond the experience aspect of it, just the sheer ability to get through three or four innings, because McClanahan did in game one, but you saw Baz very quickly knocked out in the third, in the, I believe the second inning of game two, maybe the third, and you saw Raz- Drew Rasmussen barely made it through the second. I don't think he even made it through the second inning. Uh, you saw that they completely had to bullpen game four after basically having to bullpen games two and three. And I think what we learned is it, it's kind of similar to the way the A's, I think, used to be, uh, or at least how the A's were in their Billy Bean prime, that there are a lot of things about that roster that make them a great regular season team because they're they're so good at the margins and they're so good at having every like every roster spot one through 25 can contribute in some way fashion or form that's so much harder during the postseason though especially if you're going to follow that hyper um 
hyper modern pitching plan now that is your starter basically only gets two trips through the lineup and then you have to go to your bullpen. So at, at maximum, you are getting 18 outs from your starter. Um, I mean, that can be six. I mean, it's not going to be six innings. Usually that's four to five innings. So every night you have to piece together another nine to 12 outs from your bullpen at minimum. And the Rays can do that, but having to do that three games in a row is just impossible to have to have your bullpen pick up all the all the slack. So I think what we learned there is that for as much as the Rays, it's like the A's, their shit didn't work in the playoffs this time because they simply didn't have the rotate or the depth in the rotation and the length in the rotation to be able to make that plan work. I think, and this is where I think especially letting Charlie Morton walk is probably the biggest mistake the Rays made. You know, the, the Blake Snell trade, the, the whatever else, that it, it all pales in comparison to letting Charlie Morton walk over a mere $15 million. Well, hold on. I think that's one of their better decisions that they've made. You think so? Yeah, I'm, well, I, I was in favor. Well, it worked out for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you lucked out for that one. Mm-hmm. But for everybody, for everyone who is not the Tampa Bay Rays, or everyone who is not the Atlanta Braves, or team for a team that isn't the Atlanta Braves, that, that didn't work out. Well, I'm not concerned. The thing is, I guess what I'm curious about now with the Rays going forward, you know, this is this is going to be another offseason where I imagine we're going to see a lot of moves made. I can't imagine that or better said, I have to imagine that with the exception of Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco, Shane Bass and Shane McClanahan, pretty much everyone on that team is probably available right now or will be once the offseason starts, rather. So I'll be curious to see how the Rays choose to go about things that way next year because Glasnow is not going to be back till at best midseason and probably not till October and maybe they use him in a, in a relief role if they feel comfortable with that. But right now, looking at the depth chart, that rotation is once is pretty much what it ended, what how the season ended. It's McClanahan, it's Patino, it's Baz, it's Rasmussen, and it's it, it, you know your guess from there because I, I don't I don't know the race system well enough to know if there's another pitcher coming up behind them. I kind of doubt it, but. You know, the, they have that. They're going to be in that same position this winter, where they can sit there and think we can add, or and we should add a veteran guy who can cover some of this. And you want to know a really interesting name that I think the Rays should be really, really considering because mm. he might come relatively cheap. Okay, Justin Justin Verlander. Oh, that does feel crazy. One or two year deal for Justin Verlander. Let him finish out his career, unless he wants to go to Detroit. Uh, let him finish out his career there, playing for another ring. Because I, I think that's what I think we learned that that's what they're, they're raising. You cannot win a postseason series unless you have at least one starter who can give you five or six innings. You just can't do it. And I know they got that out of McClanahan, but they needed another. The, the composition of the rotation demanded another guy who could do that. Again, letting Charlie Morton go is probably the difference between the Rays losing the ALDS and moving on to play for the pennant. Mm. I, I hope Dick Vettale is doing okay. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's funny how he's just he is just by default the Rays like <laughs> number one fan because there is no no one there are no other like notable or visible Rays fans anywhere. John Cena was for a little bit. He got a lot of crap for it years ago because he was like he was from Boston. And he was rocking the Rays stuff a lot. I think he lives in Tampa. Uh, well, I was gonna say I know a lot of the wrestlers show up mm. for for Rays stuff because um, they're all working down there and because the the performance facilities in orlando which is relatively close look at john but, taylor the wrestling guy yeah because I, I went to that performance facility to to, to do a story about did it. you really you went uh, to the performance center yeah yeah I, I did a story about um what's his name one of the million dollar arm kids who wanted to become a wrestler now 
One of the million dollar arm kids. I don't know who you're talking about. You remember that movie Million Dollar Arm? No. John Hamm. It was about two. It was about. It was based on a true story about MLB trying to find baseball players in India. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do remember this. Yes. Yeah. In real life, both of those kids signed with the Pirates. Oh. Uh, one of them. One of them got hurt and gave up pretty quick. The other pitched for like six or seven years in the organization before it ended, and then he decided after that, I want to become a professional wrestler. Huh. I'm not sure who that yeah. is. Now I want to know. Uh, I'll look into I, that. I don't think he's... Oh. He wasn't on, on schedule. For, I mean, this was like two year, two or three years ago now. He wasn't on any schedule for any fights. He was... I think the goal was to get him worked up so he could join the NXT roster. But he was still, I think... I think he was on the verge of doing his first live show like a few weeks after I talked to him. But hmm. that was going to be one of those like in-the-area live shows that I imagine they use just for like how do people react to this person as opposed to like, they weren't going to air it or anything. So I, I don't actually know whatever became of him in terms of his, his quest. I should look that up. I don't know either. Quest is a good word. We should bring quest back. I think I'm going to, when I, I'm going to see if I can figure it a way to put it in my writing today. Uh, very, quest. Isn't that a fun word? Quest. It's a great quest. word. I think quest is a great word. Um, now that you know, you're getting Red Sox Astros. In this next round, we'll talk about Astros White Sox in a second. Um, what are you most curious about in this series, and what are you most terrified about as a Red Sox fan? Uh, terror is easy. It's that lineup one through. Seven. Are they going to say the cheating? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I'm terrified of is the discourse around the series, which is going mm-hmm. to be appalling. Like this is, I, I know I'm, you know, not probably not not most people listening is probably are not as active on Twitter as me or you, and especially as me. But I would highly recommend being off Twitter for this entire series. <laughs> it's going to be re- the only thing to be on Twitter for this series for. And this is something I'd like to do for myself mm. is to create a tweet deck column of Yankees fans <laughs> <laughs> just to watch them deal with a series that is absolutely poison for them. Mm. Some of them just want to watch the world burn. Some people do. So, yeah, the easy, easy, easy choice there is the lineup. One through seven on this team is absolutely stupid. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. I do I, like there. There is no pitching staff, as far as I know, that's capable of getting through that group easily. It, it's just not. It's just not doable. So that is an easy terror spot, especially for me. The knowledge of Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker in the middle there is the left-handed power bats. When I mean the Red Sox have their left-handed options, but they don't have a ton of them. I mean they have. Oh boy, because Darwin's and Hernandez not being on this team in part because he cannot throw strikes kind of hurts there. Uh, Austin Davis is lefty, but I don't ever want to see Austin Davis pitch to any part of the Astros lineup, even the left-handed parts of it, because he is not a good pitcher. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of, once the bullpen comes in especially, there's going to be a lot of breath holding. For well, so you can't hold your breath that long. But there's gonna there, there are gonna be a lot of really unpleasant moments when the bullpen comes in. Once it, when it is not Garrett Whitlock pitching. And unfortunately, Garrett Whitlock can't pitch four innings a game, so that should be a problem. Uh, what was the other question you asked about things I'm what, I'm what am I not scared of or or most interested in? Most interested in what the Astros are going to do pitching wise, especially rotation wise, when it comes to uh, depending on what is the issue with Lance McCullers, mm. uh, because he was easily not just the best pitcher in in the series against against Chicago, but I think he is their best starter left. Obviously, forearm discomfort is not a thing you want to hear about literally ever, 
when it comes to pitching. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that'll that be interesting to see what they do. I mean, obviously, they have the pitching to make it work. They have Framber Valdez. They have, uh, they have Jose Urquidy. They have, I guess they could use Zach Greinke if they really feel like it. Um, the thing is, they didn't have to use anyone beyond Valdez and... Ooh boy, who was the game three starter for Houston? Luis Garcia. They, so they can they can live, you know, with with Valdez, Garcia, Urquidy, and maybe Granky, but that is obviously a much weaker group than the, than one with McCullers in it. So I will be very interested to see if if that has any impact on Houston, how large of an impact it has. Because I mean, it'd be the equivalent of taking Nate Yavaldi off the Red Sox rotation. It would be, if not disastrous, it would be very very bad. So I, I think Houston can survive anyway it's not it's not the biggest loss i mean a much bigger loss would be pretty much anyone from that one through seven but it's it's as big a loss as they can suffer pitching wise uh without it dooming their hopes Hmm. white Sox, astros the white Sox go down in in flames 10 runs the astros get knocked out there what did we learn about the Chicago White Sox. I, I just wrote down they are who we thought they were coming into this series. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I don't think we learned anything about them that we didn't already know. That This is a super talented team that just doesn't seem ready yet. Um, which is kind of a weird thing to say because it's not like they could, it's not like there's an oven you can put them back into until they're, until they're fully baked. Mm. But you could just, you could see the difference. And I know this is... Cody Bellinger might be much... able to help with that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> jokes but <laughs> but I, I i know it's like opposite to the idea like this is very much eye test stuff but you, you could just see it you could see when he when things got tough for houston they, you never saw any sense of like pressing or you, you saw it and i think this is illustrative too the, the, the houston astros for the most part i think there are a handful of guys who are relatively new to the playoffs but a lot of those guys have been in the postseason a trillion times by now mm-hmm. for for most of these guys this is all this is not just the franchise's fifth straight trip to the to the alcs it's theirs as well this is absolutely nothing new for them for the white Sox, for the majority of them this is pretty new i know uh a lot of them were on the team last year that lost to uh, oakland i believe it was so you know they've at least been to a round of the playoffs but yeah, I, I just saw a team that just was it just didn't seem ready. That they were just fundamentally off. That just didn't just couldn't execute. Was just pressing too hard a lot of the time. It it, it just feels like, and and I know that this is you know this is something we talked about before. That this Chicago team really didn't have either a lot of experience or a lot of. I don't want to say fake. They just didn't really have a lot of experience playing better teams and especially they they just didn't and i know we, we pointed this out before the series they had a bad record against better teams they beat up a lot on their division they beat up a lot on losing teams they really didn't do well against winning teams and i think you saw that in that series that they're just they are just one step below i think the rays and the astros and i think they're right there with and the ray the rays and the astros i think they're right there with the yankees and the red Sox. but they just had the misfortune of drawing a team that is both better than they are and i think there's just I think that's an easy argument to make that Houston is just an overall better team than Chicago is. And that just with the experience they had just was much more, I think, not even emotionally or mentally, but just they just seemed more, what's the word I'm looking for here? Comfortable. They just seem more comfortable with the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that obviously it doesn't help that there are parts like, for example, like Lance Lynn being a, a fastball heavy starter against a team that rips fastballs. Not a whole lot you can do about that. 
Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodon coming into the series at clearly less than 100% after having both of them having great seasons and just getting hurt and or fatigued at the wrong time. Nothing you can really do about that. The fact that Craig Kimbrell just apparently cannot pitch any inning that is not the ninth inning. Nothing you can really do about that. But man, did that trade end up being uh, perhaps a long-term disaster for the White Sox. But it's a swing you make. It's a, yes, it is, is 100% a swing you take. It just ends up being one that didn't work because Craig Kimbrell is just very, like like I said, he, he's not a setup reliever. He is a closer, which is funny because he's ideal. He's the ideal closer for a Tony La Russa team, but Tony La Russa didn't use him as his closer. And I think that's the other thing. I know we're, I imagine this coming up next is what comes next for Chicago. I think that's a really big question of, is Tony La Russa the guy to do this? I think you and I are both surprised that he didn't tank the season on his own, although he came really close, it feels like, a couple times. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't get the vibe that he is the right manager for this squad, either from an emotional level or from a tactical level. He just and I think you saw that especially in game four when he just seemed he just seemed slow in all his pitching moves and all his in all his bullpen moves. I, I think this White Sox team needs a younger guy who is more open to that kind of who just more they need an, I mean, it's easy to say for everybody, but they need an Alex Cora type, not just a younger guy, but a more aggressive manager. Because this should be an aggressive team. It's got speed, it's got power, they got a ton of really great bullpen arms. They just felt like they, they just felt kind of slow this entire series. And I, I don't know what you would chalk that up to, but yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the White Sox are who we thought they were, for better and for worse. John wants to bring back Jose Guillen, or uh, Ozzy Guillen. Bring back Ozzy. Let's do it. Let's, you know what they could that. use? Adam LaRoche. Bring some grit in there. What if Adam oh LaRoche God. became the manager? Brian Dear McCann? God, no. Brian McCann? Chicago White Sox manager AJ Pierzynski. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, it is kind of funny where baseball can just be so random at times. And then the White Sox, it's just they've been bad against good teams all year. And then they just yeah. are bad against the a good team in the playoffs. And that's it. Like they were, yeah. they were the most obvious, just the, the red flag meme that I don't really understand that's happening uh, over the last 24 hours. That, that was the White Sox where the red flags are right there. Just like, I mean, you can take them if you want to, but we have a full season of data that shows this team does not beat good teams. Uh, so bet on them uh, at your own risk. And uh, that's ultimately what happened. From the Astros' perspective, now that they are walking into a series with the Red Sox, I think they should be favored in this series. Um, I, I just... Are they really going to let Carlos Correa walk after this? Like, after this run? Is that really what's going to happen here? They're just going to go back-to-back with Springer and Correa? I just... I don't know. It, it de- I mean, it depends, obviously, on what Correa is looking for, which I imagine, given his age, will probably be at minimum a five- or six-year deal worth at minimum $100 million. I would, if, like, I would guess that he would be... He's 27. He's going to be. He's not even. Tw- he's not even 28 till next September. He is in the prime of his career. Forget five or six. He's going to be looking for a, probably an eight-year deal to start. Uh, I'm not sure who his agency is, but it doesn't really matter. I imagine he will probably settle for something in the six to seven range for probably a 20, 25 million dollar AAV. So it depends in large part, I think, on what the Astros kind of want to do money-wise and what they have coming up going forward. Obviously, they have a lot of money already long-term tied up in Altuve and Bregman and McCullers. Uh, they have, in terms of guys, but they also don't have a lot of money coming off the books this offseason. They have Yuli Gurriel coming off, and I imagine, despite his age, they will probably work out some kind of thing where they're just like, 
you can be on this team pretty much as long as you want. Otherwise, it's a lot of ARB guys like Framberg, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, you know, and I imagine Alvarez and Tucker are now two players that they want to start talking to about long-term contracts. So I think the reality for Correa is there may just not be room to, to fit him in if you already have the three major long-term contracts for Altuve, Bregman, and McCullers, and if you want to consider long-term deals maybe for Tucker and Alvarez, which I would highly, highly encourage the Astros to do. The other question there is, do the Astros have the literal physical players to take up shortstop going forward? That is a much bigger question that I don't really think that they have a great answer for. You could argue that maybe they just give a shot to uh, Pedro Leon, their number two prospect, who is a shortstop who uh, who wasn't reached AAA last year. Um, He hit, let's see, he... Across three levels of the minors, he hit, he had a 339 on base percentage, and a 369 slugging percentage. So you could, he's only 20, he's 23, so you could argue on the one hand, maybe he's ready. On the other hand, eh. If nothing else, he's a very good fielder, so they have a guy glove-wise who can work in a lineup that already has plenty of bats, so they can live without that. I mean, if I were the Astros, no, I do not like Carlos Correa walk. He is a perfect player for that order. He's a perfect guy, it seems like, just for that team. I can see them letting him walk. It also depends on what other... I mean, there, there are going to be obviously a lot of teams. I think at this point, he is probably the number one shortstop on the market, depending how much you value uh, Corey Seager's left-handed bat over Correa being a righty, and or whether or not you value Javi Baez's defense over the fact that he's... Well, no, Javi Baez is not the, the number one shortstop on the market. So there are presumably going to be a lot of teams interested in him, Texas, Detroit, the Yankees, you know, any bunch of other teams out there. Obviously everyone, everyone could use an all-star caliber shortstop. I ultimately think they let him walk. Um, I think they qualifying offer him to get the draft pick. And then I think that they just move on and, and spend that money elsewhere because I mean, that's kind of the other thing with Houston is they can, e- they can easily choose to, to dump that money into long-term deals for Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. So yeah, I, I wouldn't let him walk, but I, I can see the I can see Houston letting him walk. Mm, I could too. I just it's it's gonna be kind of wild to, uh, to see. Uh, how do you see Rays Red Sox working out? Do you what is your favorite matchup if you're you're an Astros fan? What do you what are you most looking forward to in this in this matchup over getting the Rays? Uh, I think largely the pitching. Mm. I mean, even even with the Rays kind of a, being a, a, a bit of a pitching mess, I think the Red Sox bullpen is a very, very big problem for them. Um, they managed to hold the line against the Rays, but obviously they had those two eighth-inning uh, blown leads, one, at the, one from Hansel Robles, one from Ryan Brazier. And the fact that, obviously, that Robles and Brazier were the guys being asked to do that should be sign enough of the of what this Red Sox bullpen kind of looks like right now. There is There are, like, Garrett Whitlock is the guy you're afraid of in that bullpen. Everyone else is just kind of there it feels like so that is really i think for the astros you are looking to knock the starters out as soon as possible because i mean it, who knows what alex cora has up his sleeve you know he, he obviously played around with these kinds of the, the the borders between reliever and starter during the 2018 postseason he's obviously doing it again this year as you've seen with nick pavetta kind of becoming that uh rotating rover guy that rick porcello was in 2018 the only issue now, of course, is that in a seven-game series, you, you need to you need to start at least four games. 
you have Yavaldi and Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez for the first three. I don't know what you do with number four. If you've already used Pavetta, I mean, do you try to bullpen that? Is that really a good idea against the Astros? So, yeah, I think Red Sox pitching, with the exception of Yavaldi and Whitlock, is something that is something that Astros fans should probably be looking forward to. And also the fact that, as I point out, defensively, this team's very bad. So there should be a lot of run-scoring opportunities for Houston. I think this is going to be a high-scoring series one way or the other. Yeah, I think so, too. It'll be fun, at the very least. I think this it'll, is going to be, be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. I don't it'll think the other series is going to be very fun, John. I don't think I'm going to have a good time, to be honest. <laughs> Your Atlanta Braves for the second straight year playing for the National League pennant. It's just... And maybe, just maybe, depending on the outcome of Dodgers-Giants, once again, against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've gone back and forth on this because it's like you just never know if this is the last time your team will be there for a while. Like the Braves went 19 years without ex- without moving on in the postseason. Um, you you don't know when this is it. I mean, Freeman could be gone after this year. You insert Acuna and Freeman could be gone. Um, the idea of making the World Series without Ronald Acuna is pretty, pretty wild to consider, but it's something you have to still consider. Um, especially if we get the Giants in uh, in a seven game series, like can Logan Webb's heart keep up with uh, with another series? Can he can he continue on with this Red Bull habit? I don't know. Um, did you see that by the way? I did not, but that sounds horrifying. He drinks three Red Bulls a day. That's it. Three Red Bulls before like before his day, he goes and pitches. Like he's drinking yeah, no, three Red. That's what, that's what most major leaguers do. Are they doing that? They, those guys are Red Bull and coffee addicts, man. Are they really? Yeah. What's oh, the craziest yeah, one you, you in your baseball coverage? The craziest coverage. one is probably Tommy Canely. He he drank like six Red Bulls a day. Are you serious? Yeah, he, he had a problem. Oh my goodness. Dan Campbell is still the all-time great uh, caffeine uh, yes. habit. I, that I just like four espressos a day or something. He had, Yeah, he has four espressos on his venti coffee. Jesus so he Christ. gets yes he gets two ventis with two express with two espressos in both of the ventis and he downs them both to start his day uh, that's disgusting well here let me let me give you a quote mm-hmm. that'll probably make you feel better about the los angeles braves and, and and unsurprisingly this inspirational quote will come from broad washington mm-hmm. this is from uh howard bryant okay talking to ron washington about the braves facing a either a 107 win team or a 106 win team mm. quote both goliaths but these kids love to play and i love that he can say kids because ron washington is 69 years old nice we don't have to be the best team we have to be the best team today you may be better than us over 162 but tonight we getting in your ass <laughs> Um. There you go. That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what the Braves That's are what doing. doing. Listen, the power of Ronnie Wash is very strong. The fact that the Braves did not have the Jorge Soler case up in their their NLDS is very on Atlanta like. So maybe maybe it's okay. Maybe we're going to be fine. Maybe they've weathered the storm. the The first Atlanta curse like moment. Um, they weathered it. Uh, love Jock Peterson's pearls. Like maybe that's part of it. His necklace is keeping keeping the Atlanta curse at bay. I'm not sure. Charlie Morton, I, you know what's interesting? So Mike uh, Petriello wrote this really good piece on MLB.com 
about Atlanta's change, because you mentioned Washington and had me thinking about it, where like they never shifted early in Brian Snicker's tenure as manager. And now they're one of the league's uh, highest shifting teams. And it happened this year as the season went on. And uh-huh. it that's part of it. And Ron Washington is the guy who's just been so good. Like the Braves, I think only gave up like five base hits in the series, like five non home runs, um, something like that. And a lot of that is just their defense is incredible. And Ron Washington has just been a marvel and he hasn't needed this team to do that, but they're, they're, they're doing that now. Like that is something that they are actively, uh, doing all the time. And it's interesting that it kind of just came out and like, that was something they said that they never needed to do and never felt comfortable doing. And then as the season went along, they just became a, a very happy, a happy team to do it. Um, I don't know. I think that's, it's fascinating. Austin Riley has become Chipper Jones, which is a surprising development with his little bare hand snags that he's whipping down uh, the third baseline. But um, Charlie Morton also was just a huge gamble. We don't talk about that where maybe it's just because it's Charlie Morton. You have to throw throw uh, history out the window when it comes to somebody like him. But I mean, it was a huge, huge risk to throw him out on what? Three days rest. Um that usually goes the wrong way and it went the wrong way with, for the Braves a couple years ago with Dallas Keuchel. Like they tried that with Keuchel and he got shelled and uh, they ended up losing that series. So I, I don't know. It was a risky move to throw him out there, uh, but you know, it, it worked out. I am weirdly comfortable with this bullpen at the moment. Uh, I am weirdly comfortable with this lineup. I don't know. I think they're going to, I think I'm more of a believer in this team this year than I was last year. Um, I don't know if that what what to do with that. Um, I mean, it might. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to Adam Duvall's base running. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty okay with this. I'm pretty okay. I wish Acuna was here. It it stinks. I think about it every game. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know who I'd rather face. Like theoretically, you should want to face the Dodgers because the Giants are the better team, uh, at least by record. But you're like, ah, it still feels like it's the Dodgers. So I'd rather give me the Giants if I can if I can face either of the two but i don't know who do you think's the better matchup for the braves that that's really tough i mean Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um The problem is that, and I, I think we're, we've seen it in the in the course of this NLDS, and, and as we're taping, obviously we're taping the, the day of Game Five of the NLDS. So we don't know who's going to be the opponent, and we don't know how that series is going to end. But those are two really evenly, not just evenly matched teams, but two very similar teams. They both hit. They both have really good starting pitching. They both have very solid bullpens. To the point where I don't know who really is better for Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like. Okay, let's say you pick the Giants. Granted, you do not have to face Max Scherzer or Walker Buehler or Julio Urias, who I think there is a more, more at least a higher uh, level of confidence that they're going to turn in the kinds of starts they usually turn in over uh, Logan Webb and his 195 heartbeats per minute and Kevin Gaussman, who was very up and down over the course of the second half, but at the very least looked and also did, did not look great in his game two start. On the other hand, the Giants have a fantastic offense. They have a very good bullpen, um, even when Gabe Kapler is trying to use every pitcher within it over the course of four innings. 
I don't know, man. I, I, I would say that, and this is honestly purely psychological, I would say I think the Braves would rather have the Giants because I don't know that they, I don't know that you want a repeat of last year and I don't know that you want to deal with the pressure of we're not letting that happen again. What happens if the Braves go 3-1 on the Dodgers again? I'm not watching the rest of the series. <laughs> they win great, but I'm not doing that. That's it's bad. For, I'm, I'm taking several mental health days. I'm not doing that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you think there's a better matchup for them in there, but I, I, I think either one is going to be an absolute war of a series one way or the other. Now, give me Gaussman. The Gaussman Bowl. Let's bring it back. I think, I think that's I think that's where I lean. Mm. I think that I lean on the Dodgers have the better rotation. The Giants might be better everywhere else. The Giants defensively are flawless. It is terrifying to watch them play defense. They, they don't make mistakes. Um, I think the one advantage, I, or not the one, I think the one reason you might want LA is just because with Max Muncy still out, that lineup is very different and weaker now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think... Being able to face Webb and Gaussman, and uh, who started who started Game Three for the Dodgers? I've already or for the Giants. I've already forgotten. Uh, Gaussman and uh, having to face Webb and Gaussman and Alex Wood and maybe Anthony DiSclefani mm-hmm. as opposed to Bueller, Scherzer, Urias. I mean, I guess that's the thing. The Dodgers two Atlanta legends started, there but... potentially with San Francisco, Alex Wood yes. and Kevin Gaussman. Okay. I think you'd rather face that rotation, mm-hmm. and I think the soft middle of San Francisco's bullpen is a little easier to deal with than LA's. So I think offensively, Atlanta, I think will have a better time facing San Francisco's pitching staff. But it's it's really it's going to be really. I mean, you know this. It's going to be really tough either way. And I mean, I like this Atlanta team too. I obviously this is a better Atlanta team if and when Jorge Soler is cleared from his COVID positive test. Uh, do, do we know if that's does he actually have COVID? Or, or, I mean, obviously he has COVID, but is this a breakthrough infection or Solaire? Yes, uh, I don't think so. I think he expected to be back for the series. Okay, so this was a, this was not a thing where he is symptomatic and is. I don't sick. think so. I don't think okay. he has any. Yeah, so I that, could be wrong, but yeah, as of fourteen hours ago, the ADC reported like he's just positive, but he's not symptomatic based on what I okay. read. So this this might be something where they flip him into the NLCS, maybe a game or two into it, depending. Mm-hmm. But that, it's still I mean, uncertain. That, that's, that's all that we know. Um, because it, yeah, so right now, like a portion, we're looking at a portion of the NLCS. I don't know what that means though. Yeah, and that's obviously big for them, not only because you know obviously he's been and weirdly Jorge Soler leadoff hitter has worked very well, mm-hmm. um, but obviously you want his bat in the lineup instead of Guillermo Heredia's. The one thing I, I wonder just with the, the Braves, though, is that the outfield defense is just kind of an open question mark, especially center field where you're running Adam Duvall out there for reasons. But, yeah, I boy, that that's going to be a serious one. Where, I mean, do you – do you, you see, so you, you want San Francisco. I want San Francisco, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I do think – I, I mean, I have to imagine, like, if you got the if you got the Dodgers, how much are you thinking of next of last year's series? Hmm. I just don't want the Dodgers, man. I don't. I don't oh, want this. Me. I don't want this. I don't want to like conquer Goliath. I don't want that kind of uh, revenge story. I I just would like them out of my life. I don't want to to deal with that whatsoever. No, I don't. I don't want that. I, I think the Dodgers are winning the series. Um, and then you're just like really sad because you're just like, are we really gonna get back three years in a row 
um to the nlcs like is that really realistic with this group like with freeman and that's tough i don't know like i don't want to waste this moment so i would rather not uh go against who i still believe is the best team in baseball and try and avenge last season's collapse but no thanks i'm good yeah I, i don't blame you i do not blame you um john taylor what do you think as we wrap up here how do you think this goes clairvoyant john on tonight's game five uh, Dodgers Giants how do you think it actually goes it's gonna be fun to look back on next week see if you're right it is gonna be fun to look back on I think the Giants win okay Atlanta Braves World Series bound the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> if we get a Braves Red Sox World Series this podcast has to end <laughs> Oof. Um, man I uh, also, Braves, what are we doing uh, the Saturday night first pitch? Like, what are we doing? W- why are the Braves playing on Saturday night at the exact same time the Tennessee Volunteers host Lane Kevin's return with Ole Miss? I, I-, I don't like this development. You, you, you know that one of these is bigger than the other. You know that. <laughs> You're aware of that. I just I wish they would run it Tennessee by me first. And Ole Miss have losing records? Say that one more time? I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what portion of the college. What did John Taylor, the college football knower, just say on this podcast? What did you just say do they, to me? Do they? Am I? Am I right? Do they have losing records? No. Oh damn it! <laughs> Tennessee is four and two. Ole Miss has lost exactly one game to Alabama. That is it. Okay. Well, fair, but. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're the, the disrespect. The if you're the Braves, if you're the Braves playing on Saturday, it's just its own. I mean, what? Well, I guess what time does Georgia play on Saturday? Uh, Georgia plays three thirty, I think. There you go. Game will be game will be over. Well, it depends because they're probably are they going to make? And I guess they have to wait. Well, no, because um, they would probably make game one of this series the the primetime game, wouldn't they? Yes, because it's going to be a West Coast team hosting it. Well, if it's the Dodgers, the Braves are hosting. Right, the Braves had the better record. Mm-hmm. No, no, they didn't. But the Braves, the Dodgers, are the wild card team. Yes, they were right. Okay, so that's what they're waiting on. Mm-hmm. So, so if the Braves are hosting, that is more likely not the afternoon game. I don't think they get the afternoon game. Still, I think but they want to. You think they put Red Sox Astros in prime time or not in prime time? Yes, I think they would do it for. Hmm, that's that's a tough one. If I'm MLB, that's a tough call. I would say that they're going to put uh, Braves and the West Coast team on, on primetime. No matter who the West Coast team Yeah, is. I think it's just they want West Coast in primetime. Okay. That makes sense, though. That does make sense. They don't want a game starting at 4 in the afternoon that people have to start watching at 1 in the afternoon in, in L.A. or San Francisco. That makes sense. That would be my guess. I could be wrong, but that's still the way I'm leaning with how they're, okay. they're thinking. Well, either way, yeah. A, a Saturday Braves game going up against some... Good old-fashioned college football. Tennessee Volunteers. Are you going to have a side-by-side? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Are you I, gonna... I, doubt I'll, I doubt I'd even be able to watch that game. It's, it's on the SEC Network. Game. That's a thing? John Taylor, I'm going to have an aneurysm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Khaleesi the dog is thankfully asleep and does not hear your, your, just, your shots at uh, the beautiful thing that is college football in the South. Um, John Taylor, we can follow you on Twitter at J.A. Taylor. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you have not already. All kinds of great stuff. 
popping up on Fangraphs.com. So go become a subscriber today if you have not already done so as this MLB postseason moves on along. John, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.